Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So I was just thinking, if um, climate change, the warming of the earth, uh, causes more hurricanes, then does not the lack of hurricanes mean that the earth is actually cooling. <laughs> I mean, it's just a thought, right? Because this is what we keep hearing, the climate change, the warming of the earth, the increase in CO2, which of course is nonsense. I mean, it's just total nonsense. But you notice when there aren't a lot of hurricanes, they don't say anything. They don't say, well, you know what? Uh, the opposite is also true. <laughs> you know, that the, that the earth must be cooling because we don't have any hurricanes. Now, I don't wish hurricanes. I'm not trying to say we should have hurricanes. I'm not trying to project hurricanes, call them up, conjure them or anything like that. No, I'm just saying that it's, it's amazingly absent. This is quite a calm year. And it's a good thing. Hurricanes are uh, necessary for the earth, but they're not necess- But they're a terrible thing because people get hurt. So let me ask, uh, uh, now that uh, Tara D's on the line, I'm going to ask her exactly the same question as I, I started off. Um, Tara D, have you noticed that there's, there's not, uh, and this is a good thing, by the way, not a lot of hurricanes. Mm-hmm. We've had one, and th- that one was bad enough, but I'm just saying. But uh, we, a lot of times, we'll have 10. <laughs> you know, in, in her, oh, yeah. And September's the worst it's- month for hurricanes. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I noticed um, this year has been a lot, uh, knock on wood, a lot slower, and we're very yeah, happy exactly. about that, for sure. Yeah, I'll knock on some wood, too, even if it's plywood, composite, whatever they call this stuff. <laughs> a little bit uh, of wood in there, right, yeah. But the point is that if the environmental wackos are screaming and yelling that, a, that if there are more hurricanes, that means that there's, that there's climate change, that the earth is warming up, does this not mean that when there are fewer hurricanes, the earth is actually cooling down, and that's a good thing? Uh, if that were if that were the case, I would say that would be a good thing, but I don't know enough about it to comment. Oh, we well, can always speculate. We do that all the time. Listen, if I didn't comment <laughs> on all the things I don't know enough about, I wouldn't even have a radio show. I, I, you know, I mean, as I say, I'm uniquely quali- uh, how, how do I put it? I'm uniquely unqualified for pretty much everything I do here. I really am. Yeah. Not, I don't have a broadcast degree. Don't have a communications degree. I, I don't have. I have an economics bachelor, but certainly not a PhD. Uh, I don't have mm-hmm. a law degree. <laughs> you know, I don't, there's a. I've never run for office. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a ton of things that I've never done. But here I am with a radio show. You know, so who knows? No, all I, right. just I will tell you after after this summer though, I was like, okay. Oh, Okay. It was like one of the worst summers ever, I think. So I was like, uh-huh. yeah, okay, we'll, we'll believe whatever you say. If you just get the temperature down, we'll do whatever you want. It was just so brutal. <laughs> hey, hey, leave that alone. We've got a puppy in the office this morning, and he is already no trying to break into different items this morning. So I didn't think you are yelling at me, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I need to make you a theme, so I'm going to be. I think this is like theme weekend. Uh, I, I get I need one for you, for Bonnie, for Bianca. So I have to get caught up on my themes now that you've all been here for for enough uh, time for me to kind of get a feel for how to how to uh, you know create a theme for everybody. But uh, that's the next thing. But yeah, the the the, the climate is fascinating. Let's talk about the the critters. How did they do this summer? Because this really was. Um, oh yeah, so this summer was probably the worst or one of the worst that, since I've been here, and I've been here for many a day so uh, we had a lot of dogs that actually got overheated so we were basically shuffling dogs around in offices to give them a break from the heat we were ordering cooling mats and cooling blankets for the dogs and we kind of did an, a donation drive for that so the public really really stepped up and and helped with that and supported and sent those in for us so and but the dogs go through those a lot because some of the dogs will chew so they're pretty pricey items to have in 
to come in and then just only get to use temporarily in tall. So that was frustrating for us to see, you know, but, hey, dogs chew. So it's kind of like you just have to make them as comfortable as you can and hope that they are realizing that that's something to help them. Um, we also just, yeah, just noticed a lot of dogs don't, you know, they don't want to get out and run around when it's so hot. Some of them will, but some are like, nope, just leave me be. And mm-hmm. so um, it was, we were actually having to restrict our dog walking hours because, we had so many dogs getting overheated, and so we just wanted to make, maintain their safety. And so that was the first that we've had to do that, and so we're just really glad the temperatures are getting a little lower so we can kind of go back to regular activity here at the shelter. Another thing that we did, and we've done this for a few years now, is um, we have a volunteer. We basically called it the Ice Ice Baby thing. Um, she would go to next, yeah, she would go next door and fill up a big cooler full of ice and bring it back and put it, drop it in the ice, in the water of the dogs. And so... Either a volunteer or staff member has maintained that throughout the summer as well. It's just like a little thing because even their water was getting hot because it was just so hot. Right, right. And um, we also, yeah, it was terrible. Absolutely. But we actually got some um, help from the public this year, a couple Mm -hmm. different um, AC companies, and I should know, but I don't know where off the top of my head, came in and, and helped do some finagling to where they got some blowers in there and then the county ordered this big ac blower thing i don't know if it's a technically an air conditioner or just some sort of apparatus you know a cooler of some sort but anyway mm-hmm. so that has helped get the temperatures where they are manageable so instead of you know being like you know it may still be 80 in the kennels but 80 is doable so um, so that's just helped tremendously. But, yeah, it was probably one of the worst summers that I've seen since, you know, many, many years as far as the heat. So we're we're glad that it's starting to wind down and we're getting a little break from that. Yeah. You should get a company to donate uh, solar panels that also create shade for the dogs. So if the dogs are ever in the sunshine, you know, you could, you could get a twofer. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good idea. For solar panels for heating and cooling, uh, and especially if a company donates, they'll get a big name for themselves. And, and you, anybody that donates to uh, uh, Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter is welcome on the show. So if you want to help a sponsor out, feel free. You know, you can always bring oh, them okay, on. Okay, so that's, that's awesome. I, I believe in rewarding good work. Uh, so uh, yeah, but think of, yeah, but if you have any place that need the need shade, you know, use solar panels for shade. And again, oh, yeah, you can use that to help idea. on the shelter. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Two for one. That's a wonderful tip. thought. That's what I do here. I should get a Ph.D. in ideas. <laughs> That's, kind That's of right. On. A think yeah. tank. A think tank um, Ph.D. Well, I don't think of myself as a tank, but I guess I, I know what you're <laughs> meaning. You meant well. Uh, do, you, do you ever, like, get a garden hose and just, like, you know, mist the dogs down or something like that? Go, like, a fine spray and just kind of mist them? And yes, we have done that. We have, okay. we have done that as well and just kind of gone through. And if and some of mm-hmm. them are like, oh, yes, you know, and some of them like to play in the water, so they just enjoy it. But mm-hmm. we try not to do it where it's going to scare them. But if they're if they're interested in getting cooled off, you know, and if, if dogs are getting – and we did do that this summer because it was just, yeah, it was – it was a rough summer, so we would go through, and we cleaned the kennels, and we usually put them in um, when we clean and then let them back out so they kind of have the mm-hmm. indoor-outdoor section. But then after that, yeah, we, you know, go through, and if anybody looks like, oh, a little nice spray will cool them off and they're about it, then, yeah, we run through. Um, we have a couple dogs that love to play in the water, so they're always, you know, about that. And then we oh, have yeah, the little the baby pools, dogs. the kitty pools the out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, the 
the the duck dogs. They, they'll, they'll probably yeah. Look and right some of our bully mixes are really really um, fond of the water as well. And then our play huh. yards, we do have the kiddie pools out there, so you'll see some of the dogs just completely ignore them, while others literally go and just you know lay in the water the whole time they're outside. And then some <laughs> will just kind of frolic about or drink out of it and go. So it's kind of neat to see you know the different dogs that love that, and the the other dogs are like, no, thank you, don't want to get my paws wet. Oh, the prissy dogs. That's funny. I never thought about it that way. So let's let's get some breeds. Let's let's name names here. Who who are the water dogs and who are the who are the the prissy dogs? Um, the ones that we see here, obviously, the labs always tend, generally tend to water love the water. The bully mixes seem to really dig the water. Um, when we take little dogs out, we we don't get them very often anymore. The small dogs, but they don't seem to be too interested in, no in getting you know getting <laughs> into the pool. We did have a Yorkie here. Uh, this was many years ago, but she she had kind of long fluffy hair in the top, and she was very energetic. And so we named named her Tina Turner, and because she just had that ah! personality, <laughs> and she had the wild yeah. hair, you know. And that uh-huh. little dog loved to play in the water. So I guess it just depends on the particular dog. But yeah. as a whole. Yeah. You know, the retrievers are probably the top dogs that love the water that we see. Yeah, I just think the Bichon Fries don't want to mess up their hairstyle, their hairdo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, sorry, I just got my hair done last week, yeah, so can't yeah. get it wet. It's, a, it's amazing what you can do with a hairdryer and a Bichon. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. And, you know, our dogs don't look that fancy in general, but we have had some, you know, mm-hmm. some um, purebred dogs. We, we get purebred dogs often, but generally they're the bigger breeds. But throughout the years we right. have had, just about, I mean, we've even had Afghan hound here before, believe it or not. Wow. So, yeah, so, but we don't see as many, as many of the unique breeds anymore. It's more, you know, just uh, uh-huh. a lot of mixes they, is what we get. Are they not as popular know. or people don't, um, aren't owning them? Well, I know that we expensive? don't take owner surrenders. Yeah, as a rule, we don't take owner surrenders now when we used to, but right. I don't even see them out and about anymore. So I'm not real sure if just the, the breed, I guess the breed choices you know, kind of changed throughout the years. So when you see, you know, when we had certain movies, we were seeing an uptake of Dalmatians, and then it was Huskies for a while. And it kind of goes with whatever the movie, the popular movie is. Sometimes at the time you'll see a lot more of those. Or if there's a, you know, like the Belgian Malinois are very popular right now, which is probably terrible because they are so, so, so intelligent and and very focused and it's usually not a dog you want for your just the average pet owner who's not going to put in the work so what was the breed name uh belgian belgian malinois so those are police dogs generally that's that's conan right that's the one that went in and got el baghdadi that uh trump was talking about conan was conan was a belgian was or whatever you call it Oh, okay. I don't. I'm not familiar with that, but probably so. Yeah, because they, you know, a lot of police uh, police work is what they're kind of known for, or security work. But I think you know the the sheriff's departments and whatnot have kind of switched over to them as a whole from the shepherds because they're. I think they have a little less injury, but they're super hyper focused, super intelligent. But they are, yeah. That's a lot of dogs. So you have well, to be committed if you're going to have them as a pet. Shepherds are probably yeah, yeah, shepherds at this point have a lot of like hip and, and you know that's another thing. Anytime you are getting a purebred dog, you want to if you're going to use a breeder, definitely make uh-huh. sure it's a reputable breeder, and you definitely need to check into those things, getting the hips and elbows certified and things like that, because those are very important for your dog's health. And you want to make sure that you know if you know that you're going to get a dog that's that's actually a legitimate you know healthy dog, because it's really tough to have a you know a dog that's got a lot of health issues it's It's tough on them as well 
They should exchange. I mean, breeders, you know, if you're, if you're a German Shepherd breeder, you should exchange, you know, I don't know, send, you know, uh, genetic material, shall we say, you know, from like a breeder in Germany or a breeder in, uh, you know, uh, Kenya or a breeder in Australia. I mean, just they should be sharing it. They should mix those, those German Shepherds with as many different German Shepherds as they could to kind of, uh, would that improve the genetics? Because if you just keep inbreeding within an area, is, is it regionalized yeah, that you see? Or, or yeah, what? I think that okay. it just depends on the breeder because I know like in the past um, when I worked at a vet's office years ago, one of our uh-huh clients was a German Shepherd breeder and she actually was from Germany and so she would do that. She would um, use a stud from like her home and you know what I mean? So it wasn't like word. she wasn't. I was trying to think yeah. of a good word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so she would kind of do that and so that she had a really good line and then if there were any problems with any of her dogs, uh, she would get them altered and not not breed them anymore, which is the responsible thing. And so, but I mean, right. pretty much if there's any breed that you want at this point in time, you can find it at a rescue unless you're just really set on a specific, you know, I know people are in love with the puppies, but guess what? You only have a few months of puppy time and then they're going to be an adult anyway. So skip the puppy part, go directly to the adult part, get them from a rescue and nine times out of ten, they can already tell you their good points, bad points. They can be house trained already. So you kind of mm-hmm. skip in puppy part is fun, but it's a lot of, a lot of pee and poo, honestly. So it's it's not the worst thing in the world to miss out on on that part of their life, you know, because you have several more years of a good a good companion. So I just always you know remind people like, oh oh, well, we wanted a puppy. Well, it's not going to be a puppy in four months. So why don't you uh-huh. take a look at the adult dogs because you might find an awesome dog, you know, that's already grown but amazing. Yep, and five year olds need adopting too for people. So so you don't have to get a baby. Hey, get out of there. Two hours oh old. goodness! <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So anyway, speaking just, of puppies, we have uh-huh. we have this puppy in the office, and so um, I guess when someone put it put him in our office last night, they didn't put him in a crate. Well, he's four months old, so he <laughs> he destroyed our office, got stuff off <laughs> the tables and the counters. The keyboard was uh-huh. on the floor. The the mouse. He got into some treats. He got shredded some paper and just made it all around disaster oh, when we came time. in this morning. Yeah, so he had a fun time. Yeah, and so now he's still walking around looking for stuff to get into. So, but he's very cute. Mm -hmm. So you know, you can't get on him too much. (laughs) Well, yeah, I can't wait till the discussion you have with the 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 person that forgot the crate. But we'll we'll save that for another time. You have to jump on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I was going to ask you something about, I guess, uh, back to the dog question, heat one more time, then we can get to the critters that are, that are out there. Uh, will a dog mm-hmm. run itself to exhaustion? I mean, heat, you know, heat conditions can be fatal, heat stroke, things like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Some dogs will. And so you, that's yeah. why you as the adult, kind of like your children, sometimes your kids will do stupid things in the name of fun. So dogs will do the right. same. Some dogs know how to self-regulate, and they're like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. tired. But other dogs that have, like, a strong drive, they will mm-hmm. not stop. And so you really have to be the person that says, okay, that's enough. Let's go inside. Um, okay. I personally have a, a rescue dog, a Rottweiler, and he will, he will if there's four-wheelers in the neighborhood and he hears them, he goes bonkers. And he will run himself probably he would burn himself to death. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, so if I, if we're outside and we hear that, I give him an amount of time and then I'm like, okay, go inside. Cause he will not stop. And with the heat and just the constant cardio going, running back and forth, like, yeah, mm-hmm. a dog could run themselves out or get overheated. So we definitely, as the, as the responsible parties that we're allegedly are, we have to, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, remind them, like, hey, let's go inside, get them to take a break, make sure that you're on top of that. Because even though, like we said, the temperatures are going down, it's still very, very hot, and dogs can easily get overheated, especially in the Florida sun. So just want to stay on top of that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking that by horses, because I know horses have been known to run to exhaustion and, and literally collapse and die. You know, so yeah, I, I, I don't imagine it would be different for dogs as well. Although some horses, I was, I was watching a movie the other day, the horse just stopped. Just stood there. Well, your horse is done. You know, just standing there. It's like, okay, not running mm-hmm. further. Like, I'm, so, up, so I'm over it. Yeah. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's all you get. Get a camel. Yeah. They can actually run further, um, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. No, there was a famous race in Australia. Someone bet uh, that their horse could beat their, their camel over a 100-mile race. And the, the horse won, barely. Uh, and then it collapsed mm-hmm. and died, and the camel is, is oh. has gotten. Uh, uh, this is a long. This is years and years ago. Uh, anyway, so mm-hmm. the, the, but uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> but the horse ran itself, you know, to exhaustion, and, and uh, right. so it just expired overnight. Uh, the camel, you know, as they say, got a good night's sleep, got up and ran 100 miles back the next day. You know, <laughs> so the camels are pretty amazing. I know we don't see them here. Yeah, but, they're really fascinating because they just look so like, oh, uh, you know, like uh-huh. you know, they're just meandering along, but really they can they can get it pretty quickly, and and uh-huh. yeah, they're just. Yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, they're like the ever-ready bunny of animals. They just keep going yeah. and going. And, uh, Except for that whole big, spitting thing, but I guess that's a lot of those. Well, I've ridden a camel. Camels are hysterical. <laughs> you know, this, this, hey, you know, get out of uh, there. Hey, oh, welcome back. <laughs> Sorry. This is He's know. being super Tara, bad this morning. Tara is babysitting a puppy in her office, uh, so that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what's going on. So this is live radio. This is what makes it fun. Okay. So uh, I, I can entertain while, while you're busy. <laughs> I'll just fill in. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little nice this morning. But, um, yeah, Dan is available for adoption. Uh, as, as anyone yeah, can tell, no they're kidding. probably like, oh, it sounds like a troublemaker. <laughs> but he's just a puppy, so he's into everything, and that's pretty normal for puppies. So you just have to be prepared, like having a crate. You want to crate them when you're not home so that they're safe and so that mm-hmm. your things are safe. And that's with any little puppy. Yeah, he's in the office, office definitely, definitely great. Him, so <laughs> he's looking all innocent now. But yeah, they can get into get into things. But this little yeah. guy, he's actually available for adoption. He's already altered, and he's about four months old. He's super, super sweet, very cuddly, what, what kind and of very loving. Um, he's just it? a mixed breed. He's probably got some bully in him, I guess. But it's not, you know, that's bully. What's what's bully? Uh, some sort of bulldog. It could be who knows bulldog, what. Because okay. there's so many, yeah, so many bulldog breeds that are just kind of all mixed in today. Um, these days, it's just kind of hard to tell exactly really? what. Without really? a DNA test, you really couldn't. Yeah, because people just, you know. So in this area, we've had a, we have a lot of backyard breeders. So it just Uh-oh. who knows what gets thrown in the woodshed. So, but um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's really sweet and cute. He's a handsome puppy, <laughs> and uh, he's very inquisitive and checking things out. So. <laughs> but he would be a lot what of fun sh- for someone. What should people do? Is backyard breeding, are we talking about uh, legal but not necessarily ethical? Are we talking illegal? Or what, what kind of folks are, are, are Well, doing technically this? Or, it's all, not all illegal, maybe? but it's, it's, you know, if you're going to purposely breed, you should be doing it if you're going to even do it, which that's a whole other debate. But if you're going mm-hmm. to purposely have a litter, you need to make sure that, A, your dog is like super, like it should be, a promotion of the breed, not just because your dog's cool, but okay. or I want to see what their puppies would look like. It's supposed to be for the betterment of the breed. And your breed, if you just are purposely allowing your mixed breed dog to have puppies, you're not bettering anything. All you're doing is putting through her through unnecessary labor, and then you're taking a chance on her health, and you're putting puppies out into the world that probably, mm-hmm. hey, stop that, um, have less of a chance of getting a home because they're a mixed breed. So it's not... You know, it's just, I mean, mixed breeds are great dogs and they're cute, but we have 
so many of them, so there's no need okay. to purposely do that. Um, there's just so many dogs without homes, so, you know, just encourage people to think about that before they, you know, and also just be, not being a responsible pet owner is another big problem of people just not getting their animals fixed and then they have a an oops litter, so to speak, and then you've got eight or nine puppies, and even if they find homes for those eight or nine puppies, well, now there's eight or nine more puppies out there that are not altered, and so someone got them for free. And they're going to grow up and have their own generations. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the yeah, cycle okay. is the cycle continues, so that's why it's like, hey, if you're going to be a pet owner, try to figure out a way to get that animal spayed or neutered, and, and it's it can be very expensive, and I get that, but there are low-cost programs in the area, so we do have a list of resources here for folks if they're interested and in, in need help to try to help them find the right place to get that done. Can people call you in advance say, hey, I was thinking of breeding my pet. Um, do you have advice for me? Is that something they can talk to you guys about? I will tell them not to do it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But, and, and that's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, but that's what I was yeah. wondering. So, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, All if right. people call for advice, we don't give veterinary advice, obviously. But if someone, right. you know... Gives if they call and they they let's say they are thinking about oh I'm thinking about getting a particular dog or something and and we'll mm-hmm. tell them the information that we know you know like hey this breed what we see here at the shelter or this is something we've noticed you know we can't tell you everything about a dog but any information that we have we're definitely glad to share or if we say somebody asks about you know homeowners insurance is an issue for some people because they won't allow certain breeds so mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. may come in and be like hey I'm looking for to adopt a dog but. I need to make sure it's on my list and I'm allowed to have it. So if they, you know, if they decide to come in, we would try to help them choose a dog that would, would fly on their list of, of, you know, breeds that they could have. Mm-hmm. Renters, too. A lot of times people who rent apartments, uh, some landlords welcome dogs, some charge a, a security deposit, and some don't want uh, pets at all. So exactly. as people are moving, exactly. that's an issue yeah. also. Yeah. Okay. And I don't really think that dogs are going to do more any more damage than children will honestly I mean mm-hmm. I'm a pet person I don't have children but like I've seen my friends children and, and they can they can do some damage too so I think you know pet as long as somebody pays a pet deposit like and they're a responsible pet owner you know even mm-hmm. as a as an owner you know a land uh, landlord like maybe you do with some extra check-ins or something to ensure that they're doing what they need to do and not damaging your property but you know mm-hmm. ultimately People need pets, so um, that's what we saw when all the prices went up. A lot of landlords were like, okay, no, when they would re-rent out, they would decide you can't have a pet. So a lot of people right. were getting displaced with their pets or having to rehome their pets, and that's really, really unfortunate because, you know, people get attached to their pets, and that's something they don't want to have to do for sure. Yeah, that's a whole new topic we should uh, probably spend more time on. Okay, uh, as usual, we're running out of time, <laughs> so let's let's get the critters okay. that are around, and uh, then at the end we'll give all the contact information. Okay, yeah. So we have, like I said, we have Dan here in the office. Um, tomorrow we're going to be at PetSmart in Pace, Florida. So we're going to be there from 11 till 2. We are mm-hmm. going to have the first 10 adoption fees waived, so it's a great time to come and adopt because someone else is going to be footing the bill for you. And we have puppies that are going to be there, several puppies, probably mm, 10 or so puppies, and we're going to have some adult dogs too. So it should be a fun day. We're excited and hopefully, you know, we're going to have lots of adoptions tomorrow, so that's what we're hoping for. Okay. And uh, You need to make a video. You need to make a Facebook video. Put it live on your on your Facebook page, then I can share it. Yes. So we, we want to see all those cute puppies and, and, and kitties. We want to see all those things. But videos, I'm finding videos extremely useful. And so uh, I will be doing more of them. Uh, how did that video go that we made? Did uh, that get a decent response? 
Has it been um, the Facebook page I for a while? Don't, I don't know. I know that we okay. had fun with it here at the shelter, but we sent it over to next door, so I kind of didn't really – I don't know if they were using it for clips or what, but we should do another one soon um, when okay. Miss Vicki comes back. She's out for a little bit, so when she comes back, we'll have to get her involved. So she's a lot of fun. Well, maybe I'll show up myself. So this is PetSmart, and this is in Pace, Florida, uh, which is uh-huh. somewhere between Pensacola and Milton, for those that might be uh, actually traveling into the area here. Um, right. So and it's, it, there's only one PetSmart in Pace, right? So it's easy to find. Correct. One yeah, there's only one. There. There's Milton and Pace. That's the only one. So yes. if you go on Highway 90, you'll see it. It's over in the Target Shopping Center. So we'll be over there 11 till 2. Our, we'll have our van there that will have animal services on it, so you should be able to spot that in the parking lot, and uh, I think we'll have some really cute faces there. I may even show up myself and do a video. You never know. Yeah. yeah. Come yeah. on out. A lot of projects Yeah, we're going to try to, we're gonna try to do a little live tomorrow, like you said, just to show who we have there. That way, if uh-huh. everyone is, you know wants to check out our Facebook page, and they can get a peek of who we have yeah. there and see if they want to come down. If they see a face that they can't resist, they can come on down and meet them. Tag me. Tag me that way yeah. I can I can find okay. it if I forget because Saturdays a lot of times most of the week uh, shows are, are kind of prepped or thought about um, on Saturday. There's a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of prep that goes in because I have the whole day to work on my show, <laughs> so I do. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, more critters. We got some kitties. And we have more dogs? Yes. Um, so actually, we're slow on kitties right now. We got a lot of adoptions. Oh. I think we have a couple at PetSmart. And then um, we're waiting on, I believe we have two litters that are going to be incoming next week that we're excited about. These are just to mention them, so if anybody's looking, they're about four months old and um, kind of like a little fluffy medium hair kitty. So they're, those guys have just gotten their shots. So we're waiting for them to have their first round of shots. We'd like to wait and make sure they're healthy, and then they'll come in. And then... Um, I think as far as adults, we really have the only one I can think of that's still here, but he's an amazing cat, and his name is Link. He is a beautiful orange tabby, kind of kind of a fluffy guy. He came in super, super scared and just really fearful of everybody, and he's just come mm-hmm. around so amazingly. He's so loving, and he makes biscuits, and he loves to cuddle, and he loves his bed, and he's just a sweetheart. So if anyone is a cat person, he's an adult cat, but he's awesome. So I would encourage people to look at our Facebook or our, our website, look at his face, because you're going to fall in love with him. If you're, even if you're not a cat person, you're going to fall mm-hmm. in love with this guy. He's adorable. So if you're looking for an awesome cat, I would come down and meet Link here at the shelter. Yeah. I think if I had a cat, I'd want that I could, you know, take on adventures. <laughs> Do people take their cats with them camping and parks and walking and I don't know if you how you walk a cat. Um, I mean, what, some people, people do, do not not as much as dogs mm-hmm. obviously, but there are some people that travel with their cats and they use the little backpacks and they kind of look like a little moon thing or something. It's got a little cover there. Some cats mm-hmm. really enjoy it. I've seen um different videos of people like doing some heavy traveling with their cats and the cat kind of goes everywhere with them so you know it just depends on the cat a lot of cats maybe wouldn't be cool with that but maybe if they were brought up as a traveler and you know when they were a kitten maybe they're used to it and it's not so big a deal but and then some people do walk their cats on harnesses as well and that's probably another thing you would probably have to start out as a kitten to get them used to it but um, we do have harnesses here that we give out to people if they we have a few kitten harnesses and so we actually sent a little kitty home yesterday with a kitten harness so they were excited to try to see if they could get their kitty harness trained so they could take her on walks hmm do they have like little GPS things on their on your animals? <laughs> if they ever go running around a park or something like that, or you're, do, do, you know, so people, pe- what people are using people are using air tags now for that, and it's really helped people. Um, what is that? People, um, it's the little like air. I think they're 
it's something from Apple, Apple AirTags, and you can put it like on your luggage so you can see where your luggage is because it'll, it's basically like the Find My iPhone app where you can see where your iPhone is, and that little tag yeah, is going to show up. Okay, yeah, and yeah. so this is a little tag, a little clip that you put. You can oh. put it on your luggage. People put them on their on dogs' collars, and they use them as a, a device of tracking their dogs. So if their dog's loose, they can tell like the vicinity of where the dog is. So it's really kind of neat. And I think there's probably specific marketing tools for that nowadays. But I know a lot of people were using the air tags for that, and you can get them on Amazon, I think, and they're relatively inexpensive. And that's a you know it was a way people were tracking their dogs. I don't know about cats since we don't you know. No, I think the dogs. They use the breakaway collars, sense. but if they get out yeah, the door, absolutely. you know, and they start running down the neighborhood. Uh, where's the dog? You know, so that you it's can. like, uh, oh, let me pull out my phone. Them. Okay, yeah, he's at yeah. Uncle Martin's house, two streets over. Let's go pick him up. So, and well, the outdoor is cats a, too. Yeah, they, they'd be a great thing for outdoor cats. Okay. Yeah, if there's a way to get it where, you know, because we want to make sure that with the cats, the breakaway collars are important so they don't get, with them jumping over fences and whatnot, to make sure they don't get yeah. caught. So. Okay. Huh. Well, we better give the contact mm-hmm. information just in case. Okay, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So Santa Rosa Animal Services, we are at 4451 Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida. Our number is 850-983-4680. Our website is santarosa.fl.gov slash animals. And you can also check out our Facebook page, Santa Rosa County Animal Services. Okay, and we might have a minute or so before Derek gets here. So if you have any other critters or any other news, now is the time. Oh, okay, yeah. So, um, so we actually are we sometimes partner with um, some of our local groups. So, Pensacola mm-hmm. Humane Society is going to be taking some of our dogs this week to help us out because mm. we are so overcrowded. So, a right. few of our our good boys and girls will be going over there. So, if you're in Pensacola and maybe you don't want to make the trip all the way to Milton, go. We encourage you to go check out Pensacola Humane Society at their events over the weekend. We're sending some amazing dogs over there that are just not really getting seen over here, and we hope mm. that will help them get adopted. But they are nothing wrong with the dogs. They're some of our favorites. But, you know, sometimes a different location helps an animal get adopted. So we're excited about that and appreciate their partnership. And um, what else we have? Oh, next week we're going to be going to Petco in Pensacola. So we're excited about that as well. So we've got events probably every three out of four weekends coming up for the fall. So we're super excited to get out and see the public and meet the community and show off our dogs and cats. Hmm. Do we ever have dog shows around here or cat shows or any of those kind of things? I know that we have had some in the past, but I don't really remember seeing anything in the last couple of years, maybe since COVID. I know that they were, there were some dog shows that they used to have, like, at the, the what is that place on Nine Mile Road, the the Shriners Temple. I think they've oh, had yeah. them there before. And I think that they've had something thing? at the, yeah. And I believe they've had a couple yeah. things at the Equestrian uh-huh. Center as well. So those are, and yeah. And usually, the Equestrian Center. Yeah. Like so, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a Five Flags Dog Training Club. And I think, um, from what I remember, they used to post everything on their site kind of to the community. So it's it's always neat to go to something like that. You get to see different breeds that you're not familiar with. So it's a fun time. Yeah, I actually ended up watching a dog show just to, uh, just for that reason to see all the different dog breeds. There's some amazing breeds out there. I mean, you know, you think oh, the yeah. basic wolf, coyote, you know, the basic do- the, the the original dogs, and they've just gone crazy. You know, you've got oh, yeah, little dogs, the big dogs, yeah. Yeah, just to think, you know, the chihuahuas and whatnot, and you're like, whoa, this came from a wolf. Like, how did this happen? 
<laughs> well, that's a good question. We'll say that Derek's here right now, so let's save it for next time. How did that happen? Tell me, uh, if you're interested in a little research project, tell me how that happened. Let's start with wolves and coyotes, and, and kind of like do it. Let's do a little ancestry.com uh, tracing of, of dogs and how they got to where they are, and then we can do cats because cats haven't changed that much. You know, your basic yeah. house cat isn't that different than a than a bobcat. Uh, yeah, they just kind of uh, miniature size, but other than that, they're yeah. pretty much, yeah, the, the, they look the same. It's funny because you can see, you know, like kittens of big cats, and they look pretty much like a normal kitten or cat, mm-hmm. but just, you know, just a little upsized. But, yeah, no, the dogs it. have kind gone, of yeah. gone a whole different direction now. Now, the South American cats, the, the ocelots and the margays, margays are about the size of a house cat. Ocelots are a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, bobcats mm-hmm. uh, in, in the United States, you know, are, are little, of course, they don't have the tail. They're a little bit bigger, but they're pretty ferocious. But they're not huge. They're not like lions right. and tigers. So let's have some fun yeah. with this. Just, let's start with dogs next week if you're interested. And let's say, how, how, we, how did we get from, uh, from wolf to, to chihuahua? That would be oh, a yeah. great that's, thing. Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's, okay. a good pro- that's a good school project for some kids. If they're into animals, okay. I bet it would be really, really, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of, lot of information and cool, cool facts. Okay. Thank you, Tara. Well, let's do it next week. Okay, thanks, and y'all have a good weekend. All right. Bye-bye. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks. Bonds mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets, oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park, our Action Radio financial reporter, joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. So what do you think, Derek? Would you uh, like to hear a little ancestry uh, story from Wolf to Chihuahua? I just I just thought of that. I hear you, man. Yeah, well, you, just, you know, I mean, this is this is the this is spontaneous live radio, so anything that pops into my head just uh, kind of comes out there. So, how you doing this week? Uh, good, good. It's been a little busy week, but uh, you know, hasn't been a bad week, I guess, considering the markets. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Uh, in fact, I, I talked to Derek off the air about just some things. I'm curious about real estate because a friend was concerned about that, uh, inflation and that kind of stuff. And then this morning, I heard a report, and this is where I want to start. The United Workers has called a strike at all the big three. That would be GM, Chrysler, and uh, Ford. And I had to think about that for a minute. Uh, and they've got a new tactic called the stand-up strike. So they don't tell where they're going to strike. They just you know, have an entire department just stop working. Uh, and they've done, of course, the big right. ones, the Jeeps, the pickup trucks, and whatever else. Of course, they haven't done electric cars. No one's striking at the electric plants. That's kind of funny. Um, but, uh, but the fact that they're doing that, they're striking, and they're asking, and this is the part that, that killed me, 46% pay increase over four years. That's huge. Wow. And the airlines have requested the same thing, and they may have gotten it. But here's what I'm thinking. So, and I, I think I, I post this on Facebook, but I'll, I'll ask you the, the same question is that if this administration is saying there is no inflation, then how can these people ask for a 46% pay increase? And if they're asking for a 46% pay increase and, and the, the, the Democrat government says that's absurd, you can't have that, then how can they say they're for working families? So there's, there's a real catch-22. This is a fascinating right. situation. What do, you, what do you think? Well, I mean, it, it, I heard a, a good thing from a CEO, and I can't remember who it was specifically, and he says, listen uh-huh. – 
He says, you know, I, I'll agree that, that uh, you know, we need to increase people's pay. He says, mm-hmm. but right now during inflation, if we increase people's pay, he's like, all you're going to do is make inflation worse. He says, because, yep. you know, while while we're happy to pull whatever it is they feel or whatever the government feels that they should, he says, you have to understand that that's going to be passed directly to the consumer. He says, well, so, uh, you know, yeah. And let's distinguish inflation. Yeah, there's inflation caused by government, and there's inflation caused by the market. So this is market inflation. Right. This is a, an increase right. in government inflation, which is spending, borrowing, printing money, and then which causes prices to go up. And then, of course, people, people want their wages to go up to meet the increasing prices. And that's what I would call market uh-huh. inflation. I don't know if anybody else makes that right. distinction, but I think we should. Um, make sense to you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I think that that uh, that 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 definitely holds true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's uh, um, you know, I mean, the government inflation. You know, I mean, is 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 them just incessantly spending and pre- printing money. You know, right. I mean, it's uh, obviously it's it's you know, if you're if you're going to do that, um, you're mm-hmm. you're going to cause problems. Um, mm-hmm. You know, additionally, now you have fuel costs, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, fuel costs. Uh, just hit a just well the oil hit a new high so it hasn't hit oh, the boy. pump yet but it's coming. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, oh yeah. So, and, and so, you know, so uh, yeah. The effect is the same though whether it's market inflation in other words unions want more money and people want more money in general for for wages uh, and then the companies have to pay more which means they have to charge more to cover their labor costs. It doesn't matter whether right. it's market based inflation or whether it's government based inflation. The result is the same. Prices go up, and that's not right, good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the 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 uh, you know the public pays, um, you know, mm-hmm. is what it is, you know. So, uh, you know, last night you were saying uh, inflation was uh, up. Okay, it did. So we there was and I and I went and pulled stuff. Um, okay. You know, I, I I don't know that it spiked, you know, but uh, inflation for the month was up 0.3 percent. Um, so but inflation it, but is not still down. hovering. Yeah. No, it's not down. Um, you know, and and that the the reason it gone up specifically, mm-hmm. uh, food costs have gone sideways. Um, you know, so they've stabilized. Housing costs have have uh, gone sideways. They have stabilized mm-hmm. in some markets. Okay. Actually, they've gone back up. Um, mm-hmm. There is a, a, a rise in fuel costs, which is part of part of the mix. Um, right. And uh, consumer spending was a little higher than anticipated. So uh, per producer price index, I think, was up. So, you know, was it up enough that the market didn't like that news? No. Um, I think the market is really waiting on what the Fed does on the 20th. Yeah, that's it was, there's two big dates coming up, the 20th and then the 30th when the government runs out of money. So there's two. There's a bunch of stuff going on. Let's, uh, let's get the report in now, and then we can talk about it. Otherwise, we'll just be speculating on numbers. I think I'd rather have, uh, have the picture first. What do you think? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, the, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, computer was going a little slow, so I was trying to get it done while it was here. Or just make so, it up then. Uh, <laughs> the government no, knows, no, no, why no. shouldn't you? I mean, I, I've, you know, I've tried to do it before. I mean, because I couldn't get it to come up, but uh, I got it here if you're ready. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. Stocks finished firmly higher, uh, and they closed higher on Thursday as the market digested retail sales data that exceeded uh, exceeded expectation and a mixed producer price index inflation report. Leadership was broad with both cyclical and defensive stock sectors performing well. Overseas Asian markets finished higher ahead of China's Friday economic activity report. 
European uh, European markets also closed higher following the European Central Bank's ECB decision to raise rates by 25 basis points to 4%. European markets had a positive response to the commentary from the ECB Council, stating it believes that current interest rates are in restrictive territory, could and would could excuse me which could signal a pause for future rate hikes. Oil continued its march higher, finishing around $90 a barrel, while their treasury yields – oh, my goodness. Sorry, it's sliding and moving on me. That's okay. We'll just – we'll, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll vamp. We'll vamp. Well, and now, yeah, uh, page two. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. It, 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 like, moved all the way to the bottom of it. Sorry. Where did, uh, well, no, listen, I can report all the time. I'll be reading something. I'll be reading an article on the air, and an ad will pop in the middle of it, and, or it will keep shifting yeah. on me. You know, because they're they're trying to maximize their their advertising stuff. It's it's hysterical, so don't worry about it. It's just believe me, I understand. Yeah. We just we just work around all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Had to pause. Uh, yeah. So oil okay. finished higher around ninety dollars a barrel, while the treasury yield rose across the curve, with both the ten year and two year higher on the day. All right, now you can do your page two. <laughs> and now page two. Today, U.S. equities closed higher with the Dow Jones up 332 points or 0.96 to 34.908. The Nasdaq closed up 112 points or 0.81 to 13.926. And the S&P 500 closed up 38 points or 0.84 to 45.05. In the bond market, the 10-year Treasury yields are trading at 4.29% higher by 0.03. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up $1.83 or 2% to 90.35 and the spot price of gold was down $2.30 or 0.12 to 19.30 and 20 cents. This is Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. You can get me at 850-995-0082. All right. Uh, you know, it's interesting. For those who don't know, the reason I say, and now, page two, was Paul Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit before Derek's oh, yeah, time, yeah. but uh, Paul Harvey was on for years, you know, like 40 or 50 years on the radio. And he literally was reading from pages. You know, there were no computers when he started radio. So so just mm-hmm. I think it, somehow he probably goofed on a page turn, you know, probably in the 1930s or 40s or whenever he got started. Right. And and then he literally said, and now page two. And then it became part of his routine. So that's 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 where all that came from. So there is a, generally a basis for a lot of the things um, that I talk about here. So. Uh, a friend was was concerned about the real estate market. Do you do you have any any news um, on that? Yeah, I mean, so so the real estate market as a whole, um, you know, I do. I mean, and, and I could talk a little bit about you know the area specific. You know, what I mean, so you know the real real estate market. You know, I mean, like uh, the comment that was used was crash. I, I don't necessarily see a crash, and right. and I'll tell you why. And and this mm-hmm. is uh, I will tell you partially facts based facts based as well. So you have to understand the demand for housing right now is still extraordinarily high, okay. right? So the demand would have to be curbed. The only thing that would cause any any real estate market to have a significant correction would be the rental market. Um, and How does that you know work? there are so the rental market is what happens is is like people start moving out of the area because they're moving to other areas where the rent is not so high, you know which will force oh, okay. you know if nobody's occupying if nobody's occupying because of the high prices it will force mm-hmm. them to lower prices to attract new people right so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are certain markets, and we're experiencing a little bit of that pressure even in our area. Um, you know, and, and I saw some reports that said 
um, you know, uh, 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 the rental market has increased significantly, and they actually blame like Verbo and Airbnb because these people, you know, just buy properties, convert it to a rental, and do these short-term rentals and just let it sit and charge okay. these astronomical prices that it would be for these daily rates, rather than you know allowing somebody to live there for long periods of time, you know, because so they can make the extra money. You know, so is that is that true in our market? You know, if you get down to the beach, I would say yes. You know, I mean, if you if you um, if you're up, you know, in the in the north side of town, I would say you know it's going to minimize. So they're buying houses specifically to make them Airbnb, you know, hotels basically. Absolutely, yeah. I, I saw a thing. I saw a thing in Maui where something like thirty percent of the of the island's homes are uh, Airbnb or Verbo. I'm not familiar with Verbo. Is it the same kind of thing? Say that again. I'm sorry. Verbo. I, I'm not, I haven't heard Verbo before. Is it yeah, the Verbo. Verbo is Airbnb's, Airbnb's, Airbnb's competition. Oh, okay, like DoorDash and Grubhub kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's okay. the same thing. Right. Um, you know, okay. I mean, there might be benefits to each. You know, I don't know that specifically, but, you know, the bottom line hmm. is, is they, they it's a rental site. Yeah, yeah. Don't they have like a homestead tax or something they have to pay if they have short-term rentals? Or is that a different... I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, to be honest, um, okay. you know, I, I do know that like your your yeah, homeowners, yeah. your homeowners insurance is different if you're renting it. Huh. Well, that makes sense. Okay. I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, um, like real mm-hmm. estate is not something I know a whole lot about, but I like to say I had people, are, and I know a lot of real. There's a ton of real estate agents in this area. Um, but here's a different question: Are we building too many houses possibly for the demand, and and that might lower the price of housing a bit? Because we have housing developments going up all over our area, probably all over Florida. Uh, just everybody seems to move here say, in Texas. Yeah, considering our area, the the answer mm-hmm. would be no. Um, you know, I know our area is under pressure. Um, you know, and I mean, and and you know, a lot of people are complaining. You know, even even near where I live, man. I mean, they're building like seven hundred houses. Um, oh, you know, so. Yeah, it's, we don't it's, have the infrastructure. It's a lot, you know. <laughs> we don't have the infrastructure. Well, you, you, know, you actually just beat me to it. You know, my concern oh, I'm sorry, go is, ahead. is, is yeah. no, no, the, the, you know, I mean, you can build all these houses, you know what I mean, but, you know, have the taxes, you, you know, either increased or have have the taxes compensated, you know, for the schools, for the roads, you know, for the increase of those mm-hmm. type of people, you know, what I mean, like, you know, your grocery stores for the most part can handle, you know, influx in, in population. Up mm-hmm. to a certain point, you know, I mean, you've got certain areas that it's grown so fast they can't keep up with it, right? They're going to have to build more grocery stores. But we're expanding in, yeah. that, in, that, in, that, in that area enough. The, where we're not expanding enough is, is like the roads and the schools. You know, right. in our area, you know, I mean, those, those – I mean, you, you know, all the high schools are overcrowded already. You know, I mean, um, um, you know, back oh, – oh, man, um, I moved here in 2015. 2015, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of them in the area, and I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but one of them in right. the area was almost at capacity. The other one was okay, mm-hmm. you know, out of the two. Um, wow. You know, so, um, you know, where they're at now, I mean, you know, I, I ran into the same thing when I went to school in Central Florida. I mean, they had those little portables and stuff because they couldn't build the school fast enough. 
I saw them in California. Yeah, they had that stuff too. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, yeah. I just read a report. Uh, this is kind of fun. We're all over the place today. This is good. Uh, but I just was reading a report in our local San, uh, Santa Rosa News and I think Studio 850 and other news source. So these are local sources around here, folks, um, that they were talking about school enrollment is down. And it's not because there aren't enough kids, but the, the parents are choosing to you know, use vouchers, homeschool, private school, things like that. So there's, there's two things going on. People are moving in, but the schools may not have the same amount of pressure because fewer parents are sending their kids to government schools, which I find quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, with the, with the rise in, in concerns over what's being taught to your children, um, yep. I think the government schools are going to be under pressure. Um, well, you know, it's, for me. it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I just saw one of these videos in a, in mm-hmm. a school in California where, um, the the child had finally complained after months that the teacher was teaching um you know the lgbtq stuff three mm-hmm. days out of the week you know mm-hmm. to the kids mm-hmm. and you know what what the mother did was went around and like pulled other mothers and kids and got them to probe and and they found out this and the school she reported it the school board did absolutely nothing she said Here's your standardized test, and this class is significantly behind where everybody else is because this stuff is being pushed, and you guys are allowing this to happen. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, what, why are we not teaching our kids the math, science, English, so on and so forth? You know, we're teaching them this stuff, which is not going to benefit them in life other than, you know, how, how it influences their development. And, um, you know, it's just uh, I can't believe that we've gotten to this point. I can't believe that we allow that type of stuff. Oh, you know, I can. Like, <laughs> but but yeah. the, the best the best thing that ever happened with COVID, uh, and there's very little. I mean, the, you know, other than the virus itself wasn't as serious as, as we all thought. Um, but the best thing that happened was the parents were able to see what the kids were doing as soon as they went home. They did online learning, and it's like you're teaching my kid yeah. what? <laughs> you know, that was absolutely fabulous. But a uh, few people uh, people are now you know kind of getting to what I what I my recommendation was as soon as the schools closed back in 2020. I said this. A golden opportunity. We, I said we have a window now. We have to exercise this. We need to close the government schools. We need to sell the buildings to private schools. We need to cancel all the taxes related to education. We need to move, move to a full private uh, school situation right now. I said now is the time to do it. Right. The teachers are all on, you know, they're all on beaches in in uh, you know Sao Paulo, Brazil. I mean, they're all taking their money because they're still getting paid, right? But but so they were all mm-hmm. on vacation. They're on the beaches in Jamaica. You know, I said now's the time. Close the schools fire the teachers, and have them rehired in a private system. And everybody thought it was nuts. It's like, no, I'll tell you. Of course, now it don't look so nuts. But that was the time to do it. Well, you know, I mean, then the education system would turn into, like, the prison system. You know what I mean? Like, where, where you know, once they went private, it turned into this giant money scam. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, I'm sure that's what's going to happen. I got Pianchi on the line. I want to take yeah. just a second, but I want to get back to the uh, the main uh, issue of, of unions and the fact that the pilots union, that's one thing. They're not as big, but the auto workers, that's a huge mm-hmm. union. And getting a 50, yeah. basically a 50% pay raise uh, over four years, let's, uh, you know, that, what's that? That's, that's over 10%. That's about, uh, what, 12.5% per year? Let's just say 12% a year. So yeah. inflation, well, they're gonna, inflation they're gonna, is what? They're going to ask for the moon, um, yeah. you know, and then, and, and, you know, hope for the best. But, uh, you know, do I think that they'll get that? No, I, I think that's a, that's a bit ridiculous. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, could they get something like, you know, hey, 20 percent, 30 percent? Yeah, I mean, that's that's in the realm of feasible. OK, so so if inflation, let's just pick an average uh, in the next you know, few years, 5 percent, 
probably more than that, but let's just say if it's 5% and they're getting a 10% raise per year, they're basically doubling, you know, they're, they're, they've, uh, you know, exceeded the inflation rate by 5%. So it's actually a net gain, which is not a bad thing. I understand why they're doing it. I mean, I advocate for yeah. more wages too, but that's sure. overall the whole economy. What about the other unions? What if the teams start doing that? All the truck drivers. Well, I mean, it, it, you're going to have to understand <laughs> that people, other, other unions are probably going to follow suit. Yeah. And how about the government unions, SEIU and the teachers? They're going, well, if you're paying the, the auto workers more, we want a 50% pay raise too. Not that they need it, <laughs> you know, because of all the pensions, benefits, and things like that. And the fact they work 190 right. days of the year. But they're going to ask for it too. This is going to be a huge effect sure. economically. Yeah. Just curious. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, there's, there's already talk for the politicians. Uh, there's already talk about them. At, you know, the Republicans are like, okay, listen, we would rather take a pay cut and have better facilities and stipends in D.C. because we have to go back to our states and districts than, mm-hmm. than you know, higher pay where we have to figure it out ourselves. And I'm like, okay, I agree with that. That makes sense. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they have to combat with D.C. You know, maybe they build a government hotel or something like that, right? You know, where each mm-hmm. person has their own room or something. That would be ideal in the long term, right? You know, I mean, I'm just, well, I'm just making something up. I'm not sure that's no, the answer. I'm just, you know, uh, you know, there, there's, um, I think it was Matt Getz that was talking about that. You know, I know nobody likes that guy, but you know, he was just like, listen. Oh, I don't mind him. I just want him on says, the show. You know, well, yeah, well, I know, my but, problem is, but, you know, yeah. I think it was him. Don't quote me on it, but you know, he's basically saying, listen, you know, we are overpaid for what we do, you know, and and he says there's no way we could continue to justify these kind of costs at the American taxpayer. Um, you know, and I'm just like, oh my God, bravo to you, sir. You know, it's yeah. just like yeah, you yeah, work, yeah. you work half the, you work half the year, and you make a quarter million dollars a year. You know what I mean? It's just like, really? Sign me up for that job. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me too. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and any national companies that want to sponsor Action Radio and bring us to a level where where I can pay everybody for this, but I'm more than happy. You know, would not be a problem. Right. Um, let's right. get Pianki, and then I'll ask about uh, the budget. We're going to get that in a bit. Pianki, what's your question? Good morning, sir. Well, I think that the uh, good morning, Dirk. Yeah, morning. We know the typical year ends this uh, this month. And if they go over the fiscal year in spending, then what should happen is that they lower the budget by 10 percent, 15 percent. They want a continuing resolution. They want a clean one, which means they want a dirty one. They want all the same spending. They just want to continue spending at these levels and, and keep increasing. Well, they've already what, got $2 trillion extra this year. <laughs> you get the forecast on the $2 trillion above the, the, the revenue next year. Derek, what's going on with that? Above well, yeah, the revenue. So they're Revenues at four point five trillion, I think it is revenue per right. year, and uh-huh. you know they're talking about spending six and a half trillion. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Well, that's, that's, that's not going to fly. That happen. No, oh, I mean your your cap your cap each year should be should be three trillion. You know what I mean? So you're paying so you're paying uh, paying your debts and making your spending. As an example. You know, I mean, like it's uh, and and really, you know, I mean, the the what was the three trillion spending bill that that Biden had originally that got right. whittled down to two, you know, or one point eight, whatever it was, you know, um, you know, something like sixty percent of it was going to governmental programs and not infrastructure. What was it, the yeah. infrastructure bill or whatever, Build Back oh, yeah. Better or whatever the heck it was called? No, Build Build the um, Democrat Party Back Better is what it was. <laughs> That's all <yeah>. it was. <laughs> Well, no, build their pockets back better. You know, I yeah, mean, exactly. like, golly, where's 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 the accountability department? That's what I want to see. You know what I mean? Where when we spend money, 
mm-hmm. want to see exactly where it's going. I want to see receipts. Well, it's supposed to be done by Congress in their budget. Uh, you got a House Ways and Means and uh, and Appropriations Committees, and the Senate has uh, has the same thing. I think they have budget and, and uh, ways. Yeah, like yeah, but they don't do it. They don't. They don't but do they're supposed job. to. You know what I mean? No, so, they're terrible so there's job. already questions about they sent right. the $80 billion over to uh, Ukraine, and they don't have receipts for that. You know, so everybody's that? like, okay, wh- where did the money go? Show us, show us exactly where this money went. And, you know, I mean, it's fallen on deaf ears, right? Nobody wants to look at that stuff. And, and for me, you, you know, when you're spending the taxpayers' dollars, man, like, yeah. I, hey, dude, you, where, show me. You know what I mean? You need to show me this crap. Yeah. Yeah. There's really two things that Congress does. It's uh, budgeting, which needs to be accounted for, and defense spending, which needs to be accounted for. I mean, they have to spend on defense because they have to defend the nation. I mean, that's that's a given. That's what most. Uh, in fact, Walter Williams and I talked about this when he was uh, uh, still around, uh, obviously. Um, but, we, you know, he said, you know, basically two thirds of the federal budget should be national defense and about, you know, another 20 percent for infrastructure, roads, things like that, uh, and then like, you know, 5% for everything else, <laughs> you know, all the necessary offices right. of government, Supreme Court, patent office, things like that. But most of the federal government budget should be on defense. And the fact that it's not, it's on entitlements, which were never in the Constitution, you know, that's a huge thing. So sooner or later, they're going to have to privatize, you know, and, and make uh, independent uh, retirement accounts of Social Security and, and health choice for Medicare. That's just going to have to happen. But the, but the question in the short term, you know, they don't, they don't budget like they used to. They don't do appropriations. They used to spend all year on hearings, on budget hearings. That's all they did. There are people in Congress, that's all they did was do appropriations. And they would have hearings all year long just to set the budgets. And everybody would come in and testify. And they don't do any of that anymore. They just do continuing resolutions. It's really terrible. Right. I believe it is. But, you know, okay. hey, the times we live in aren't necessarily that great. No, but they are interesting. <laughs> so let me ask yeah. you both a question. Hey. Uh, so, so if yeah. I could just fill you in in case you missed the beginning, we were talking about inflation. Uh, and I, I like to make the distinction between government inflation, which is the borrowing of money that uh, they don't have, uh, raising the debt ceiling, printing money, which results in increasing money supply, which results in what I call government inflation. And then there's the, the inflation that gets compounded on top of that, which is market inflation. As the prices go up because of government inflation, people want more wages. They want uh, all kinds of different things, benefits, everything else. And because of that, companies have to charge more for that. And it's reflected in higher prices. And so the prices go up. So the market inflation comes on top of the government inflation. So it's almost like a double uh, inflation and things get really bad. But the solution, I believe, the simple one, rather than 10% or, you know, we all have the same, we all have a solution. Mine's very simple. Congress stops borrowing money. If Congress stops borrowing money, all this nonsense stops. There won't be inflation. The, the debt will be paid off. We will have an increasing quality. There will be deflation. The prices will come down. So the, it, it's just staggering to me how simple the solution is and how resistant everybody is to this incredibly simple solution. Gentlemen? You know what the Speaker yeah, of the House I, said about that? No, no, I don't. Tell me. Speaker of the House, he made a comment on two things. He said term limits and balanced budget, I think he said, mm-hmm. is going to have to be done. By Congress is never going to do that on their own. No, we have to do it. No. No, this is why I said the states have to do it, but I don't want – did you hear my report yesterday, my interview with Mark Meckler at Convention of States? I put that recording on from the podcast I did several years ago. Pianki, did you hear that? Yeah, I think we had a problem with the, with the – uh, I had problems, and somebody had problems with uh, audio. Oh, well, I'll check it out. 
It, it should have been on yesterday's show. But anyway, the point is that the states, uh, I, you know, Congress is not going to do it. So you're not going to get two-thirds of the Congress to vote for a constitutional amendment to stop them borrowing money. The states, I, but I don't want a convention of states either. So my plan, the states do it by resolution. They say, we will pass this amendment. And, and then start withholding money from the from the, the the federal government until they pass it. I mean, they're going to have to force it, just like the the feds forced the raising of the drinking age by withholding highway funds. So there's definitely precedent for this. So the states do that. Right. They they get they get this into Congress. Congress passes it by two thirds. Then those states who passed it by resolution can pass it. Actually, you know, ratify the amendment that con- that Congress can no longer borrow money. Then everything changes. I mean, that's 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 yeah, the plan. I hear what you say, but. I hear what you say, but I'm for a convention of states because Congress is not going to do it. You still got to get a congressperson to take it in. Mm-hmm. So, but my plan is you, you don't need a convention. You don't need a convention of states if the states do it by resolution, which is not binding, but it certainly tells for how they feel about it. And then they can start withholding money from the feds as, as incentive, shall we say. Let's get Derek's here. He's going to have to go in a minute or two. And I got Chadwick Moore coming back, uh, the author of Tucker. Uh, so that's going to be kind of cool. Derek, what do you think? Uh, you know, as opposed to con- either convention or just the, just the economy, just the economics effect in general of just Congress stopping to borrow money, which I think would be incredible. Um, you know what I mean? I agree with it 100%. I think the first part, I, I think we would do much better by everybody if we focus on the term limits first. Okay. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, obviously, if you if you focus on term limits, you know, there's not going to be an incentive for people to be these these lifer you know, uh, politicians, which mean you might you might change the quality of what goes in there. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, like people that are really trying to make things that are going to be impactful rather than make a career and set up some kind of big old power base. If you did term limits, I think you'd have to change the, the how people are nominated for office because we don't get to choose our candidates. We get to choose the candidates that the Democrats and the Republicans give to us. And they're going to okay. give deep state candidates. So uh, I, I'm not for term limits right now because I don't think it's going to change enough. And I think it'd be a lot of fuss over nothing. Just like the balanced budget amendment as written has an escape clause. It's got an emergency right. or a public health or it's got enough ways to get out of it. You'll never get uh, a budget without debt. You'll never get one because right. if you declare an emergency, it'll be gone. Okay, there's Chadwick. So we're going we're gonna to kind of wrap this up now. But um, yeah, um, that's... That's no, the, well, uh, I'll let Chadwick listen to this debate. This might be kind of interesting. So let's get final comments from Pianchi and Derek. Pianchi, why don't you go first? The Article 5 that's being proposed is not only asking for term limits for elected officials, but also federal officials, period. Yeah. It's stated in well, yeah. well, I'd love to see the, uh, yeah, the, in fact, nobody should and be in double why in it 10 years. has to be. Yeah, okay. and, and you got over two hundred thousand. You got over two hundred thousand bureaucrats, and many of them, if not probably about eighty percent of them, is there because of their recommendation by some Congress person. Yeah. So that's why cause you can't rely on Congress to do it. You, you're going to have to have states and states using Article Five. Okay. Idea. All that's right. So, uh, all right. So yeah, let's hold up on that. And Derek, let's get your last comment, and then I want to get to uh, Chaway. No, I, I don't have anything, Greg. I mean, this has uh, been very interesting. We'll let you get on. And uh, okay. you guys uh, have yourself a nice week, and I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Derek. Yeah. All right, let's uh, bring, bring Chadwick in the middle of our conversation here, which is kind of fun, which is what we do a, a lot of times anyway. Um, so just to let folks know, Chadwick uh, Moore, uh, Moore is the author of Tucker, biography of Tucker Carlson. And so it, you just walked into a, a huge discussion. We're discussing my constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. What do you think? 
Uh, hey, good morning. Thanks for having me back on. Um, I, well, I missed <laughs> uh, most of the conversation. So uh, should oh, too bad. Congress uh, be, be limited uh, on borrowing money? Well, I think absolutely any sane person would agree with that. Okay. Well, this just let you know, and and uh, we are we are unique in the world in the fact that we actually write, propose, uh, and advocate legislation. And one of the the biggest bills that we have currently right now, and I think it's more important than ever, especially as they're trying for another continuing resolution uh, in Congress to keep funding, you know, about two trillion above above the money they take in, is a constitutional amendment which basically takes away the, the phrase that says to borrow money on the credit of the United States. So we delete that phrase so that Congress cannot borrow money on the credit of the United States. Maybe they can borrow from China or somewhere else. I don't care. But they can't borrow it on us. And so what this would do is if they can't borrow money, that would freeze the, the, the national debt. The debt would not increase. And as the Treasury bills and Treasury uh, other things, uh, notes come due, they would be paid off just like they always are. But they couldn't be rolled over. And so they would gradually reduce the national debt, which would reduce the interest on the national debt. Well, what that means is as things go down, the value of the dollar you know, is going to increase because they won't be printing money and flooding the, the market with more dollars. So the currency would stabilize. Dollar goes up in value, which means the prices drop because the dollar can buy more. The purchasing power increases, which means everybody's retirement accounts, savings, everything else, personal wealth goes up. And there's a massive transfer, hopefully through deflation. 5%, 10%, whatever, from the government, from the central banks, from the Fed, back to people because of the increase in the value of the dollar, as opposed to our, our purchasing power being transferred to government because of the, the decrease in the value of the dollar. So that's why it's such a key amendment. I know you kind of walked in on it on partially. I didn't know how much you'd heard, but uh, that's, that's, uh, that's one of our big issues. Well, of course, our, our lawmakers have no incentive to do that because government produces absolutely nothing that nobody wants or needs so they can print yeah. as much money as they want and they don't care and of course inflation is uh you know it's a, it's the frog in the boiling pot so mm -hmm. as long as our government keeps printing money and sending it to places like ukraine or god knows what else they're doing with it um it's uh you know it, it, it it's it all seems fine and a little unnerving until suddenly it isn't and you're going to the grocery store with you know, stacks and stacks of money to buy a, a loaf of bread or whatever. But of course, the government's not incentivized to do that. I mean, I think it takes a much larger change in culture to 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 get rid of, you know, to, to fix the the situation that we're in now. I don't think people really understand how how quickly things can devolve. Um, I was just actually just you know thinking of Tucker. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone saw his latest interview with um, uh, the man who's running for president of Argentina, and they were talking about extensively about inflation and what's happening in Argentina and Tucker <clears throat> in Argentina Tucker goes and exchange exchanges a hundred dollar bill for Argentinian pesos and he's got this you know six inch stack of money from you know one from 100 US dollars uh, oh, really? and, you know, I think looking at Argentina might be a really it's a really great interview that people can check it out on X if they're interested um, and it's really interesting to look at what happened to Argentina you have uh, what was formerly the wealthiest country on the continent, a beautiful, mm -hmm. formerly a beautiful continent, uh, country. And to see how, uh, what happened with the currency there, what happened with inflation there. And more interestingly, how it so mirrors what's happening here. I mean, you have this, the president of Argentina or a guy who's running mm -hmm. for president of Argentina talking about social justice and trans ideology and the <laughs> ministry of women that was set up there. Gee, what a surprise. And you think, well, I thought this was just an American thing, but no, it, 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 it has oh, no. happened all over the world and it's happening here now. Well, I have not caught that latest episode. I try to keep up with my Tucker ones. The one I found fascinating was Larry Sinclair, the person who, uh, how, can we, how can I put this, um, 
engaged with a Barack Obama, you know, in the back of a limo with cocaine. That was incredible. That was an amazing interview. But I, I want to focus on what you're talking about here because this is interesting. Argentina, Brazil, and Venezuela. Let's take them all as case studies. Each one of them had incredible wealth, incredible prosperity, incredible freedom. Those two go together. You can't have freedom without uh, wealth and personal property, and you can't have personal property and wealth without freedom. So the one thing that the, the, the globalist World Economic Forum deep state you know, communist movement does is they, they usually steal an election, install a socialist, globalist, you know, leftist ideologue. Uh, they destroy the currency, they destroy the country, and people leave. And they think that's somehow a good thing. But, you know, they, they come preaching and it's going to be great. We'll have social justice. We'll have, uh, we'll have equity. You know, your life will be fine. You won't have to work. There'll be a guaranteed income. Of course, it's a bunch of nonsense. But if you notice the three countries, Venezuela, Argentina, and Brazil, they all had, you know, basically conservative presidents. They all had their offices stolen, and they all had this massive push of socialism and communism. Yeah, and even with the case of Venezuela, they want people to leave because they can't support their own population on the welfare state. So they're happy mm-hmm. to send all the refugees here in the United States, make them our mm-hmm. problem. They want fewer people. I mean, and, well, fewer people. I mean, once yeah. these socialist governments are installed, fewer people is one of the big goals. Fewer people is like the biggest goal of the left right now. It's what climate change is about. It's what abortion is about. It's about fewer people on Earth. Uh, and, of course, they realize that their socialist government's going to have to have fewer people in order to sustain themselves. Well, not that they won't be, ever be able to sustain themselves. That's what they believe. No, there'll never be fewer enough people because they still want the work done. Someone's got to do it. Well, this is an interesting question. So here's, here's the, the leftist uh, uh, dichotomy. Um, and, and, again, let, let, we, I want to get to your book. So I don't, if I get too sidetracked, just let me know. But it's interesting that the, the left is bringing in 15 million illegal aliens, increasing our carbon footprint and increasing everything else here and COVID exposure and you name it, while at the same time basically reducing Americans. So I've made the, this is going to be kind of my, my bold claim is that it, it's abortion and, and COVID shots for Americans and it's free hotels and uh, a past illegal aliens. So who's really being replaced? It's the Americans who oh, love yeah, freedom exactly. that are being replaced. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, in this country, it's more about first destabilizing the entire country and tearing it apart and burning it to the ground in order to rebuild the socialist utopia. And, of course, there's a huge way to do it. Open the borders, bring in the third world, totally decimate your cities and your native population, demoralize them. That's far more important. Mm-hmm. Have people feel you know, no sense of community and no sense of togetherness because no one speaks the same language. Everyone's disoriented. Nobody has common cultural touchstones. So you mm-hmm. disorient the population. You tear it down in that way, and then you completely break the system, bring it to the ground, and then you can rebuild your socialist utopia, and then start getting rid of people that you can't afford. Yeah, <laughs> then you kill millions of people, and the gulags strike uh, come up, and the you know, and then the killing fields and the whole bit. We know the story. So, what can you as a writer do about it? What, as an individual, where do you see your place in fixing this? I know my place. I'm a citizen legislator, creating action radio. What's your place? What 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 are your goals uh, as a writer? Well, you know, I think that I work more on the, the cultural end of the hearts and minds and the storytelling. You know, I think with, okay. with something with, with Tucker Carlson, you know, I think he's probably the most influential, important voice in American politics and certainly in media. And with this book, you know, he's someone who's so, uh, so portrayed in this two-dimensional way as, uh, you know, this comic book villain uh, and someone not to be taken seriously, a conspiracy theorist, etc., uh, mm-hmm. But he's not, uh, you know, he's a human being. And, and with this book, you know, I think we really humanized him, told his story where he, and really hashed out what he believes, where, why he believes it, where he came from. And I think that so much of it is, is it has to do with changing hearts and minds. I mean, I think that you have to fight every day on that 
respect what you're doing is important work, obviously, but, you know, looking at the law and how that can be changed to make things better. You mm-hmm. also have to, you know, change people's minds about what, what their preconceptions are in the culture and, and, and figures who, who are important. So I think every day you have to fight on those cultural lines and, and punch back at the lies that the regime and their media tell and the way that they have, have tried to win people over. I mean, the left, has this perception of, of dominating the culture and winning through that respect, whether it's literature and books, um, you know, obviously, you know, Hollywood, entertainment, music, fashion, mm-hmm. etc. But that's not so entirely true. They're conservatives operating in the, that sphere all the time. They just don't get the recognition. Uh, and, and they constantly have their work, you know, stifled or, or suppressed. Interesting. This is probably a question that takes three or four chapters of your book. But what is it about Tucker that set him on this course of being this independent, of going to Twitter, of being fired by Fox, and instead of you know uh, retiring and going into writing and public speaking and all the things that people do, spending more time with their family, he actually is changing journalism, he, changing newscasting. He, he, you know, why him? Why do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think I think it's probably twofold. I think firstly, it's his personality. He's someone okay. who never wants to be told what to do or what to say. Never oh, wants I know that to feeling. Shut up. Someone, <laughs> you, know, you know, a lot of us do. If you say you can't say that or do that, it's more incentive to do it. And he embodies that, you know, more than, than you know, so many people I've ever met. Uh, so uh-huh. I think, and, and, and that, you know, in turn comes from his father. It comes from his upbringing. It comes from all sorts of uh, things in his youth and childhood that I found in writing this book. And then right. I think secondly, you know, I think he is genuinely – um, you know, I could say something like, you know, he really cares about this country and wants to save it, and that's all true. But I think a lot of it comes from he spent his entire life, adult life in Washington, D.C., until recently around these people. And I think he's genuinely angry and incensed at at the hypocrisy and the corruption that he's mm-hmm. known his entire life, and how these people are constantly screwing over the country. You know, as, as we said earlier, uh, you know, these are people who – make nothing, contribute absolutely nothing, and they steal from right. the rest of us. And I think that yeah. he's seen enough of it that it, it, it enrages him and he wants to expose it. And he is, you know, kind of like Donald Trump. He's a perfect vessel for this in the sense that he comes from that world and he can call it out as an insider. He's a class trader in, in so many respects. Interesting. I wrote an article you might be interested in, too. Uh, at my, uh, here's my shameless plug, gregpenglis.substack.com, called The Nation of Government. And it described Washington, D.C. as its own country. Uh, they have their own passports. They have their own credentials. They have their own you know, tax system. They use the states like colonies to, to give them revenue. They think they have unlimited power. They defy the Constitution. They become a self-reinforcing, self-propagandizing, you know, separate entity. I mean, Washington really is like a country you know, with 50 colonies around it. Uh, it's, a, it's a scary thing, but I, think, but that, I really think they believe that, that, that we are here to serve them and to increase their power. So they can rule over us. When they talk about the rule of law, and I hate the expression because it's not the rule of law. It's we, the people, give our consent to be governed. And they've lost that. They actually think that they rule with the law, which is why I set about on a course to change the laws. But if you look at it, I, I bet you find that interesting. But just that whole philosophy. What do, you, do, do you see Washington, as I see Washington, as an independent country with its own borders, passports, you know, like I say, credentials? Uh, it's, it's really a separate world. Oh, for sure. If, if you were to describe Washington, D.C. in, I think, in just plain terms uh, and uh, or even specifically the Biden administration, everything they've done, if you were just to describe this to someone and not say where you're talking about, 
And you would, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they would think you were talking about some tiny country in Africa that you've never heard of. Oh, of course that's a corrupt <laughs> government. Oh, that sounds like some corrupt third right. world nation. Yeah, no, it's actually Washington, D.C. That's how the capital works. But nobody who lives there notices that, I don't think, because it seems so normal to them. It's like when you look at Washington media and why they – a lot of times – you know, I'm thinking about the, the interview that Tucker did with um, Devin Archer where Devin's just sort of very – plainly describing the level of corruption that, that in, you know, with Hunter Biden and with the regulators and the Biden administration and how the influence mm-hmm. works. And mm-hmm. he and Tucker are talking about it like they're discussing a football game. I mean, it's just totally normal. I mean, Tucker's obviously in on it. He knows what he's getting out of him. But right. I think that's why Washington, and, and, and not just to single the Biden administration as much as they deserve it. I think that's every administration or almost every administration or every lawmaker um, but exposing that—that's exactly how Washington works. Was so shocking to average Americans because we we think we know it to hear to hear it so plainly. But it's not shocking to Washington press because that's just that's just of course this is what happens. They, they understand this, so why would they report on this as newsworthy? Of course, someone's yeah. selling influence. Like, what else do you do? Why else do you run for office? Um, but uh, <laughs> that makes it even more horrifying. I think Washington is probably the most cloistered place in the entire country. Oh, I've been there. I, I interned there. That's where a lot of uh, what I learned about uh, school uh, from college was actually I, I learned more in three months interning in Washington than I did at four years at my my liberal university of Massachusetts. Uh, and then when I went to <laughs> Europe. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And then I went to Europe after after college uh, and I crossed the Berlin Wall and I spent a day in communist East Berlin. And that was the other half of my education. So between Washington <laughs> and East Berlin, um, liberalism went out the window really quickly. Well, here's a question. Uh, would Tucker ever openly uh, either challenge the election as I do on a daily basis? I say point blank. The election was stolen in 2020. We are the victim of a coup d'etat, you know, exactly like Niger and Gabon and all these other countries. Of course, they're military takeovers. But there's no difference between a takeover, an overthrow of a government in all these other countries and an overthrow of the government here. Would Tucker, do you think, ever want to let's, – let's say Joe Biden. Let's, here's my dream scenario. Tucker says, hey, Mr. President, which he's not, Mr. President, come on the show. I really want to talk about your accomplishments and things like that. And then (laughs) Tucker gets Joe Biden on the air and says, so why did you steal the election in 2020? I mean, just to ask it just like that. Wouldn't that be fabulous? <laughs> this is my dream, that that right? would be fabulous. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be absolutely fabulous. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure you'd probably probably be more likely to get some Democrats on Tucker's show than you would some Republicans, to be honest. So I think Tucker is probably best at holding Republicans' feet to the fire and calling them out mm-hmm. for their misdeeds, which they really don't like. And to you know, to be reminded, it was the right or the supposed political right that 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 got him fired, that pulled him off the air. It wasn't the left yeah. that had been trying to for so long uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, it came from within the house. Uh, so uh, it would be wonderful to, to, to see him do that for sure. Okay. Well, you know, I always have ideas for him too. And so I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, and also if you ever want to report on anything that we're doing, any of our bills, anything like that, please feel like I would be more than happy to talk to you, you know, about all the things we've got going, especially like our constitutional amendments. But I still think it'd be a, a cool thing somehow to see um, Donald Trump and Robert Kennedy sit down somehow together because you look at the the campaign now you've got the traditional campaign you got the democrat I mean, you got the republican goobers which is short for globalist deep staters so you got the goobers are going to debate uh, again on, on the 27th and they're going to say nothing because i don't think trump will be there you got robert kennedy who's already been you know denied any kind of debate possibility with uh, with uh, brandon and so you've got these two incredible figures out there um has i might have missed it has tucker interviewed robert kennedy separately have they had a chat 
Uh, yeah, more than once he did, and uh, well, more in on Twitter in his recent um, iteration, they did a long sit down with Robert Kennedy. Kennedy announced his presidency on Tucker's show as well. Okay, so I got to catch up on that. Thank you. So I need I need to review. Uh, he's busy running a show, uh, but uh, has he ever thought of getting those two together? Which I think would be just an incredible a Donald Trump Kennedy, uh, just a group discussion would be unbelievable. I, I've talked to a lot of people about. It. They think it would be fabulous. Oh yeah, it'd be totally interesting. Yeah, I mean that would be that'd be a wonderful thing. I don't, I don't know if they would both do it, but I mean to see those two interact would be would be pretty amazing for sure. Yeah. Where's Tucker going to take journalism? I may have asked this a little bit before, but I'm, I'm just trying to think because I have this vision also of conservative news advocates. So in other words, somebody uh, the, the left has already left the world of journalism. There is no objective reporting. They're basically propaganda. So this is the way the world is, especially when it comes to impeachment. Uh, oh, I should ask you about the, the memo. Let me get to that in just a second. But you've got a world now where you've got liberal journalists who are basically propagandists and activists. And you've got conservative journalists who are trying to be objective. In fact, I've even, I've contacted One American News and Newsmax. I said, guys, you know, you're, this objective journalism, this fantasy that you're living in is over. It's been over for 20 years. I said, you need to start advocating solutions. And so I came up with the term conservative news advocate. I see Tucker as not quite there, but he's kind of heading there. In his interviews, he doesn't like offer direct solutions, but he's sort of really outlining the problems, and the people that he's talking to are, are kind of getting towards the solutions. At least he's saying this isn't good enough. Where we are now is not working. So do you think he'd ever either break that, that, uh, that whatever line it is uh, to becoming an advocate you know, beyond just a, a journalist, like, like the, the left has broken you know, objective journalism and just become outright propagandist? What do you think? Well, I think that he, I don't know, I think that, that, that dances along a line that, you know, Tucker sees himself as a, a professional observer, and I think he's really happy with his station in life. I think that's where he sees it, where okay. he belongs. So, you know, he sees up as somebody who observes and makes connections and, and puts things together to tell a story. Uh, you know, he's not someone, people often speculate if he runs for office. Uh, I don't think he ever would. I mean, I've been wrong about things before, but, you know, because I don't think that he really has that. Um, I mean, he said he wouldn't, but I don't think he would because I don't think he firstly has that gene that, 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 that where he thinks he can lead. You know, I don't think that he uh, believes that he, but he deserves does lead, to lead though. people or, or tell them he, how to live. But Yeah, no, no I think, well, I think he, you're onto something. He, he does lead, though. Yeah, but I, huh. He does, yeah, but I don't think he, you know, he would never, I don't think he'd ever run for office for that. And then also he would just never want to put his family that level of scrutiny, that's for sure. But um, uh, I don't know. Huh. I, I think he doesn't really see himself that way. Well, I've thought of that too. People have asked me all the time, why don't you run for office? I said, why would I be a voice? Why would, why, why would I be one in 435 members of Congress when I can be the world's only citizen legislator action radio host? Why would I, do, why would I give up the unique position I have now to be a voice and be responsive to, to, responsible to a party? Why would I want the Republican Party telling me how to vote or giving me my campaign funds or have donors? Because I'm not rich. I'm not a billionaire. Why would I, why would I subject myself to, uh, to having to grub for money you know, from people that don't like what I do anyway? And I bet you Tucker, on a larger scale, is probably thinking those same kind of things. Why would he subject himself to running for office and having other people tell him what to do? He's already had that his whole life. Now he's in a position where nobody tells him what to do. I think he's probably excited yeah. about what's happening. What do you think? I agree, and I also think that we shouldn't give, we shouldn't hold politicians on such a pedestal that that if you if pe- if you are influential, making a difference in the world, well, you have to run for office. Screw Washington. Screw mm-hmm. those people. Some people are much better and have much better impact doing exactly what they're doing, 
in the mm-hmm. world of communicating or in journalism or in getting the message out there or, you know, putting, uh, you know, changing the, the culture of ideas in this country and, 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 and injecting uh, ideas and information in this country than, you know, being some member of Congress. <laughs> yeah, or actually writing the laws that get our freedom back, which is what we do here. Right, um, exactly. But, but no one's, but, well, let me ask <laughs> you, this is kind Congress of a, doing it appears. Yeah, well, this is kind of a, maybe a selfish question on my part, but there's a resistance to reporting on us. I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm just, and I don't want you to feel like this is a, my personal question, but I'm talking about Newsmax, One American News, Fox, when they were actually reporting conservative things, independent writers, journalists. I've contacted, I can't tell you how many people. Nobody wants to report on what we're doing here. I find this fascinating in of itself. I call it raising complaining to an art form. They're all, they're all happy with complaining. And but they don't, you know, but we represent real change here, serious change. And yet the, the world of, of conservative journalism wants nothing to do with us. Do you have any insights for me? Can I help me out here? I think, well, I think my only insights might be, you know, media in general, publishing, any of that stuff is. And it took me over 20 years to realize this. I'm not, I'm not, I take that back. I realized it immediately day one when I was 21 years old and moved to New York City trying to get a job in media. Uh, right that an impenetrable world it's very it's a world that looks after its own and takes care of itself and if people don't know you then they don't want anything to do with you and it's it's you know it's like it's a club that you got to be in and Mm -hmm. uh you know that's that i mean i I especially saw it when i worked in liberal media like way more than conservative media like for sure but i still think that there's that kind there's kind of i think all media has this kind of high school mentality it's one of the reasons why personally i don't hang out with I don't have many friends in media. I don't hang out with a lot of other journalists. All my all my close friends that I'm close to is nowhere in this world uh, because it is kind of like a high school mentality. <laughs> like, like well, I, I, you know, I get invited to like some like you know media parties and stuff, and I don't usually don't go unless I absolutely have to. But um, uh, I think it's because of that attitude. It's you know, it's it's kind of a, a cloistered little world. Interesting. Well, I don't want to run out of time. How much time more time do you have? Because I want to make sure we talk about the book tour uh, and see what you've been doing. Oh, uh, what time is it now? I've got about five minutes. Okay, good. All right. So we have a little bit of time. So what did you do before this? You were, you were in liberal work. You were a cultural reporter. What, uh, um, how did you change to doing a, a Tucker biography? And, and what were you doing before? What kind of stuff were you reporting on? Well, uh, a long time ago, uh, pre-Trump, I was um, in liberal media. I've always been in print. So I was always in magazines and newspapers. I was right. writing for the New York Times. I was writing for a bunch of liberal places. And, uh, and then you know, I sort of publicly came out as a conservative after, um, after, after well, it was actually right after Trump's inauguration. I got so that must have been with, an experience. <laughs> yeah, just, and I was just so fed up. I kept my mouth shut, like, you know, for years, I kept my mouth shut about what I believed because I felt it was unprofessional. <laughs> and, uh, you know, journalists shouldn't be on Twitter talking about how much they hate this politician or that politician. <laughs> but um, uh, I no longer believe that, of course. But um, uh, so, um, uh, I, you know, I came out, concerned. I wrote a piece to the New York Post sort of basically, you know, saying, coming out as conservative and saying that I think my colleagues are kind of insane and i think that i believe in i believe in free speech and i think that uh mm-hmm. a lot of my a lot of the media is lying about trump and what's happening and they're deranged um but it was nicer than that actually i thought it was a pretty innocent piece but of course that led to me getting um fired from all my jobs and blacklisted etc but that was incidentally how i met tucker carlson that was my first time on a show oh, February 2017. and uh they came across the article and invited me on and and then i uh had uh was a regular on the show ever since 
Um, you know, since then, obviously, I, I started working in conservative media. Uh, I write for The Spectator and, and several other places. Um, mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the Tucker biography, we started working on this about a year and a half ago. And, and um, uh, you know, he agreed to be a part of it and opened up his life and his world to me. And, and um, you know, I got to know him really well, spent tons of time with him and really just wanted to tell his story and, and you know, get to know him as a man. Uh, you know, he's not someone that would that likes that kind of attention. Uh, mm-hmm. And he doesn't, you know, like talking about himself. Um, and uh, so I don't think he would ever write an autobiography. I don't think that's really right. his um, nature. Uh, so, you know, people seem to be really enjoying the book. The New York Times ignored us for two weeks, but for the last three weeks, we've been on the bestseller list. So that's pretty cool. They, they had to admit we existed finally. Uh, and, um, <laughs> it's, amazing. it's amazing how many bestsellers don't, don't get on the, yeah. the <laughs> that's That's funny. Yeah. Well, that's that's that's, yeah. that's activism. Okay, that's exactly the kind of activism I'm talking about. Um, I want to get back to the story because this is fascinating. But do you see the left as as it, it's almost like cultish in the fact that if you don't, you know, my experience of the left is my university, University of Massachusetts, which is very leftist. Then I went to Washington working for a consumer group, uh, the Consumer Federation of America, and there was a fabulous man in charge of it, Steve Brobeck. He may have passed on now. I'm not sure. If not, he's very old. But uh, he was just fabulous and just taught me a lot about Washington, a lot about life in general. Amazing man. But the, but the liberal groups, the, the group things, um, you almost have to suffer for the cause. In other words, you, you can't, you're not worthy of serving the liberal cause unless you are poor, unless you are, you know, philosophically aligned. There's, there's like this criteria you have to sort of, you, have, you almost have to prove yourself daily that you're liberal enough to be, you know, in the group, in the club. Do you ever get a sense of that? Oh, yeah. And especially it really ramped up after Trump because, you know, around my my whole world is liberal people, uh, okay. friends and everything work. And, and, you know, before that, I could kind of say my piece and people would be like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just trying to be antagonistic. You're just a contrarian. I'm like, no, I really believe this. Like, how do you not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then after Trump, point. it was suddenly like, you're a fascist. You're a Nazi. And you want me dead. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. But, Wait, so change your opinion. Now you're <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah, evil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They ran so, but it, but it's absolutely cultish. It's only getting worse and has gotten worse. And, uh, it, uh, you know, but I think more and more people are waking up to it. Of course, we say that all the time. And I think that, you know, Trump probably got more leg- legitimate votes in 2020 than um, them. Uh, oh, I know than, he did. Uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> Does anybody honestly think that Biden in his mentally, you know, reduced capacity when he never did well nationally at his prime, you know, could suddenly beat the most popular president since Ronald Reagan, one of the most popular presidents ever who had an incredible economic program, prosperity, jobs, foreign policy, military, everything else that Trump did right, that Brandon promised to reverse. And people liked what Trump was doing. Does anybody think, I mean, you don't even need election evidence at all, just on the face of it. It's impossible to believe logically that Brandon from his basement with nobody at his rallies could beat Trump who had overflow crowds, you know, by the tens of thousands. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're trying to tell me that New York city voted more for Donald Trump in 2020 than 2016, like 10% more New York city, 10% more uh, Hmm. black Americans, Hispanic Americans all voted more for Donald Trump in 2020 than 2016 gay Americans. Get like yeah. the vote doubled for Donald Trump in 2020. Anytime he's still lost. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, we, just, we only have like a couple minutes left, I guess. And I want to make sure we get you out of here on time. So tell me about the book tour. What's the current status? Where's the book? What are you doing? And, and this is your time now. What do you want to talk about? Tell me about the, the book. 
Oh, sure. Uh, you can get the book. You go to TuckerTheBook.com uh, if you want more information. There's also a link there to buy direct from the publisher if you don't want to give your money to Jeff Bezos or anyone. Uh, but the book's <laughs> also available at uh, – which we support. You know, it might call, but, you know if you, but if you want to shop at Amazon, that's fine too. Um, but uh, the, we want to give people the option. We thought that was important. Uh, yeah. So you can go to um, you know, Amazon, Books a Million, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you get your books. Um, you know, go to your local bookstore, see if they have it. Uh, and uh, or ask them to order it. Um, and uh, yeah, the, you know the book is um, it, it's doing great. People seem to really love it. And that's you know when you're writing a book about someone like Tucker Carlson, there's you know a lot of pressure to to do him justice. And there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of eyes on it, and a lot of people willing to criticize it. But it would, which is fine. But um, you know so far everyone really loves it. The reviews are great. Uh, so that's um, that's really cool. Well, it's good for you too because you've done an incredible job. And so now I, I can't wait to see what your next project is. Has, is another biography waiting that you can announce, or do you have another project or anything going on? Uh, nothing I can announce now. I've, I've been the wheels have been turning, and there's definitely a, a, another biography that I want to write. And we're going to see if we can make it happen. That's all I can say right now. Okay, that's fine. I, listen, I understand. I have things. I don't release bills until they're done. You know, so it's it's the same. Yeah. Do you have any more <laughs> yeah. time, or do you have to go? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I got I to jump off, unfortunately. Okay, that's fine. So any contact information, anything else you want to give? And I appreciate having you back on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's always great to talk with you. Um, yeah, you can find me on, on X, mostly Chadwick, uh, at Chadwick underscore more. Uh, Chadwickmore.com is a website. Or you can pick up the book, Tucker, anywhere you get your books. Sounds good. Thank you, Chadwick. Appreciate hearing from you again. Cool. Thanks. You take All care. Right, bye-bye. All right, bye you now. Too. That was so much fun. <laughs> That's a great – I love talking to folks like, like, like Chadwick Morris. So, uh, so great insights. And he was on about, I think, maybe three weeks to a month ago. And just we had more insights, more, more depth. Uh, it was just really great to be able to, uh, to, to bring him on and, and hear all these different details. Uh, we're going to take our first break. So we have time. We've got uh, Mike Clinch, uh, Mr. Science, coming on at the top of the hour. And he's, we're going to talk about riverboats. You know, so you want to talk about culture and eclectic and, and topics. You know, what did we have? We had the animal shelter we started with. We, then we went to the economy. Uh, now we're talking about uh, Tucker Carlson and broadcasting uh, and, and uh, Chadwick Moore's book. Now, we're, I don't know why I'm going to talk. <laughs> I got half an hour. I think I'm going to talk about the UAW strike. Uh, and then we're going to talk about riverboats. That's action radio. You just never know. You never know where we're going to go, what we're going to do, because we've got a world to cover. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. Anyway, I'll be right back. Here is your action radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in 
Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strike Force is at StrikeForceEnergy.com. That's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask to the answers no one has thought to consider to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Alright, 8.36 here, Central uh, Daylight Savings Time still there. They're going to uh, knock it back in a couple of months, which is crazy. We should keep uh, Daylight Savings Time the whole year. So it's, it's sort of cloudy, kind of uh, misty, kind of, I don't know what it is out there, but it's, uh, we're still, you know, like summer is fighting fall, fall is fighting summer, the days are getting shorter, so it's going to get colder, so it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting out there. So what I want to talk about before Mike gets here, before we talk about riverboats and uh, who knows what else from Mr. Science, um, 
something really interesting I heard about just before uh, I went on the air, like about 10 minutes beforehand. And it was the, the strike. Uh, that's the United Auto Workers, the UAW. And I don't think this is getting the coverage it should. Well, maybe it's on the, on the liberal networks. I actually have two stories from NPR, otherwise known as National Socialist Radio. So government paid for media, radio, doing what they want. Um, as we know, the, the, the unions you know, are always supposed to be favored by the Democrats, um, but, they, but they really don't. <laughs> they favor the government unions because they uh, bribe the members of the government unions with higher contracts so that the members will vote for Democrats. I mean, that's, that's established. We know how that works. Teachers unions, SIEU, the various government unions, that's, that's what they do. The private unions, the Teamsters, the AFL-CIO, which then, let me see if I remember, the, the American Federation of Labor and the Congress of Industrial Organizations. That's the AFL-CIO or the AF of L, if you want to get technical, like these United States, which is actually more correct. Um, that's what we're talking about here. And, and so it's interesting that uh, Democrats have been pro-union, uh, which I don't have a problem with. Pri- private unions, I, I was a Teamster for years. I've got no problem with it. And so I, I fully advocate that workers who can join uh, unions and get themselves a better contract, get better working conditions. That's what unions are for. Now, where I disagree with unions is when they, uh, you know, take the dues uh, and use it for things other than collective bargaining. And so as far as I know, some states, maybe most states, they make a distinction or they say that the union dues can only be used for collective bargaining and they can do a political action fund if people want to donate for, for politics. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that either. If the, the teams just want to advocate, you know, for, for Democrat people and spend money that they've collected independently. I don't care. I mean, I might object to it. I would say, hey, I think you're doing the wrong candidate. Uh, interestingly, the Teamsters endorsed Richard Nixon, uh, which is kind of, uh, uh, was it Nixon? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to be wrong. I know they, they endorsed Ronald Reagan. Uh, and so that's quite interesting that, uh, you know, and the, the union, they want a good economy. They want jobs for their members. If their members aren't working, if the economy sucks and their members aren't working, then they're not paying dues. You know, laid off workers don't pay dues, <laughs> as far as I know, if I remember. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a number of years since I was a Teamster. But uh, laid off workers don't pay dues. And so, uh, and, and laid off workers, you know, don't, uh, can't contribute to unions or, or do things with unions because they're laid off. And what's the point? They're not working. And so the, the greater number of workers, the greater number of union workers, the better. I mean, I've never been a, a fan of right-to-work states. I don't believe that uh, if that if a workplace, in other words, every, every company has rules when you go in, right? And you accept those rules or you don't, you know, it's like if you have a job where they're, they're doing an unconstitutional uh, COVID shot mandate and they say, well, if you're going to work here as a, as a doctor, you have to have a COVID shot. And at that point you're free to say, you know, I really don't want to work there. I think I'd rather work someplace that uh, actually honors my constitutional rights and doesn't want to fill my body with poison. And so that's your right to do that. Uh, in the same way, if there's a union, if the workers, the work rules include a union contract, which says that you have to join the union to work there, I have no problem with that either. Okay? That's, a, that's just a condition of work. And so a lot of these folks who like to bust unions and, and, and bring worker wages down, which is terrible, actually, um, you know, they, they try to uh, – um, they want to bust the union. In fact, they're professional union busters. I, I've, I've met them. <laughs> you know, that's their job is to break the union to get the, get the cost of labor down. Now, that doesn't mean the profits go down because the prices a lot of times will stay the same. They might reduce it a little bit, but uh, overall, the whole point is to get labor as cheap as possible uh, to, to make a, a greater profit because a lot of what uh, the cost of producing goods and services is labor. So I don't begrudge workers joining unions to get unions to, make, to get them a better contract so they make more money. 
you know, the, the union workers are the ones that, uh, you know, have enough to get families and buy houses and, and contribute to the community and support the grocery stores and the shoe stores, you know, and, and, and those people can go buy other things for their family, you know, so there's nothing wrong with people making money. In fact, the, uh, the, the unions were a huge contributor to the middle class. So I don't have a problem with this. AFL-CIO, uh, um, you know, Teamsters, those are the two big ones. Don't have a problem with them at all because they're independent private uh, organizations. You know, and if they, uh, they take, uh, they force a contract for the company that's so bad the company can't afford it and they go broke, then that doesn't help the union because all the workers lose their jobs. On the other hand, if they're totally wimpy <laughs> and, the, and the company dominates and doesn't, you know, gives them like five cents an hour more than somebody who's non-union, then the, uh, when will siren going by, then you, the union hasn't done their job. But it, 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 it's not a detriment to the economy to have people, uh, to have workers make more money. Wager, you know, and you look at what happens. Look at the big guys. So the government bails out the banks when they shouldn't. They bought, they bailed out the auto companies, Chrysler, Ford. I think they've all had bailouts. GM has had bailouts, you know. So they bail out the big guys, you know. And, and people, when they reach a certain level of employment, they get expense accounts. They get per diems for food. They get health benefits. They get all these different things that are on top of their salary, you know. And you're going to begrudge a worker a decent contract when you're paying your your managers you know, health benefits and travel and uh, company cars and all this other stuff, all these benefits that don't get listed as wages. You know, well, our wages aren't that much uh, different than the workers. Yeah, they are because you got all this other stuff thrown in. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about uh, uh, judging, you know, uh, apples and apples instead of apples and oranges. So, so that's the kind of thing. So I, I have no problem with the workers going on strike. I think it's fascinating. But let's, let's get into it. Now, my source, you're going to laugh, <laughs> National Public Radio. All right, so I got two articles from them. And I think I can get to these before we get to, uh, to Mr. Science, uh, Mike Clinch. So the first one is September 15th. So that's today. The, this is from NPR. Okay. And they actually have a radio station, WUWF. In other words, woof. <laughs> so, so woof radio, WUWF. It's probably university, University of West Florida. Okay. That's 88.1. Okay. That, I guess that's my local public radio. Do you think they'd have me on? You think they carry action radio? Nah, I don't think so. All right. The UAW launches a historic strike. At least they didn't say an historic strike, which, of course, is bad English. It launches a historic strike, so somebody actually knows who wrote this, uh, against all big three automakers. That would be Ford, GM, and uh, Chrysler. And this is by Danielle Kay, K-A-Y-E. And she says, uh, a historic strike at the Detroit three automakers is now underway. For the first time ever, this is the fact that it's under the, all three automakers are being struck. That's what's historic. She says, for the first time ever, the United Auto Workers Union is striking against all big three automakers at once after it failed to clinch a deal on a new contract by the 11.59 p.m. deadline on Thursday. This being Friday. <laughs> so that was, you know, last night, right? Says, but the strike won't mean all of the nearly 150,000 union members who work at the three automakers will walk off their jobs en masse. That's French. It says E N M A S S E. You know. Anyway, so so this is what now this is what this strike is so this strike is so interesting because of this factor. Okay, I'm going to get into that in just a second. So 150. Think about this. 150,000 union members. Right. So there's 150. That's which is in a population of 330 million. That's not a large amount of people. But these are auto workers. These are the people on the assembly line. So the people the 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 nuts and bolts twisters. Even though a lot of cars are made by um, automation being you know, that do the, 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 uh, the welds are all done by machines. So there's a lot of machine stuff, robots, AI, all that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if they have fewer jobs. I'm wondering how many members there were 30 years ago. It might be interesting to find out. Anyway, 150,000 
these are the people that probably keep the robots going. <laughs> anyway, 150,000 union members uh, who work at the three automakers will walk off their job. Will not walk off. You know, uh, walk off their jobs. It says instead, workers at three Midwest auto plants, a General Motors assembly plant in Wentzville, Missouri, a Stellantis assembly plant in Toledo, Ohio, and part of a Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan, were the first to walk off the job under UAW President Sean Fain. Sounds like Sinn Féin, the Irish uh, uh, terrorist group. <laughs> you know, Sean Fain, F-A-I-N apostrophe S, Sean Fain's stand-up strike strategy. So this is so this is a new thing. It's called the stand-up strike. So in other words, targeted departments, and this is very computer, this is a very new age, right? Targeted departments just stop working. Now, what the, what the NPR article doesn't tell you that I learned on One American News is that the General Motors plant is their big pickup plant. That's where they make their, their mid-sized pickups. It's one of their biggest sellers. Uh, the Stellantis assembly plant in Toledo, um, that's the Jeep. <laughs> that's where they make the Jeep. Another one of the biggest sellers, right? And I've forgotten what they make at the Ford plant. Uh, that might be a pickup facility, a pickup truck facility also. But whatever it is, these are the three most profitable, uh, highest earning cars uh, and trucks for these companies, General Motors, um, Ford, and uh, Chrysler. Chrysler makes a Jeep, right? I'm not, I'm not sure what Stellantis is. Uh, I've looked at that. Maybe did Chrysler sell and they didn't tell me? <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, it says they were the first to walk off the job under UAW President Sean Fain on his new stand-up strike strategy. We'll see if they explain it. If not, I will. It says for now, that means strike, the strike involves just under 13,000 workers, which is a little less than, it was about 8 9%, right? Oh, so it's less than 9% of UAW membership. All right, so I should just read the article. <laughs> anyway, says, but additional locations could follow at a moment's notice, depending on how bargaining with the companies progresses. A strategy intended to ramp up the pressure on companies by keeping them guessing about how their operations would be disrupted. So this is fascinating to me, all right? He says, this is our generation's defining moment, Fane told UAW members at a Facebook Live event on Thursday. So the unions have caught up to technology also. It says, the money is there, the cause is righteous, the world is watching. <laughs> the cause is righteous? <laughs> well, the cause is money. No, I understand it. The unions advocate for their workers. That's okay. Pianchi has a comment. He's put on live chat. Let's see what he says here. Oh, he's just joined the conversation. Okay, good. Pianchi, you can call back in. And we got uh, Mike Lynch coming up. We're going to talk riverboats. But if you want to call back in uh, and talk about this, uh, I got time. Uh, anyway, otherwise, I shall continue here. It says, uh, to, to, to yeah, I love that. The money is there, uh, which I'm sure it is because they got bailed out, right? So they got plenty of, and they got COVID money. So he's right. The money is there. So Brandon uh, and the insurrection, you know, gave trillions of dollars to companies so that their workers didn't have to work and people could sit on their butts and then vote Democrat. So the money is there. Next one. The cause is righteous. No, the cause is economic, but that's okay too. It's still, it's still righteous. The world is watching. I don't know about that, but maybe they're watching this new technique called the stand-up strike. All right. So they targeted the three most profitable car assembly lines and the workers just stopped working. All right. Anyway, since the targeted, this is back to the article, the targeted strikes are a departure from the UAW's traditional playbook, which is usually involved having all union members in a, at a single company walk off the job at once. Well, and then they used to go outside and go do pickets, right? They have a picket line, don't cross the picket line. Well, what companies used to do before the uh, National Labor Relations Act was that when the workers went on strike and carried picket signs, they'd lock the doors. That's called a lockout. Right? And then they hire a bunch of other workers to take the place of the union workers. Those are called scabs. <laughs> See all this union stuff here, right? I was a teacher, like, what can I say? I know the words. Um, but, and all that to me is disgusting. You know? So they, they banned lockouts, and I think scabs, I guess, I, I'm not sure how legal it is or what the current you know, law says, but it, it's really disgusting. 
So I, I tend not to cross picket lines. I tend to honor strikes because I know those folks are just trying. But you know what they're doing? Here's a line from the illegal aliens. They just want a better life. <laughs> you know, and it's absolutely true, but they're Americans. It's okay. They should be advocating for a better life. So I'm with the strikers. In this case, like I say, when you've got corporate executives where their companies are bailed out, where they can't fail, where they've got expense accounts and private jets and stock options and health benefits and per diem food and travel allowances and company cars, they got all that kind of stuff, right? And you're going to begrudge these workers a little bit of a wage increase, actually a lot of a wage increase, you know, uh, in these times of inflation caused by government spending. No, I'm with the UAW on this one. I fully support them. But gee, Greg, do you call yourself a conservative? No, actually, I don't. I call myself an anti-federalist, but that's a different story. Back to the article. The UAW has also opted to negotiate with all three automakers at once. Well, that's interesting. Uh, in another departure from his previous methods. Yeah, these have separate contracts. So now, well, hey, you know, they've got Facebook. This is that's a group event. Let's, let's, see, uh, let's see what the uh, automakers do. Are they going to run to Brandon and say, oh, please bail us out. The workers want more money. But how much money? This is the interesting part is how much money. They want like a 50% raise over the next four years. That to me is hysterical. It says previously the UAW had picked one automaker to hash out a deal with, focusing its actions on that company until it got a deal and then pushed for the other two, excuse me, big three automakers to more or less match that deal. Yeah, divide and conquer. Okay, you know, I, I like this idea better. Go after all of them at once. Anyway, still, it says Fain, F-A-I-N, the, the person you'll see on the media a lot, uh, ruler, uh, it's not ruler, the, the, the head of the United Auto Workers. Uh, the article says, did not rule, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually, that all union workers at the big tree automakers walk off the job at once. Yeah. Anyway, so let's, uh, let me uh, uh, take a, a water break so I can keep talking. Oh, that's better. It's amazing what a little water does to your voice. <laughs> the, con- the last thing is, is a controver- con- con- confrontational approach. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the. Oh, wait, the, let me get to the other article. I've only got 10 minutes. I might come back to this one. But I want to start this other one here. It says, why automakers are asking for a 46% pay raise. This is from September 7th. So this is a week ago. Same person, Daniel K, K, K-A-Y-E. So uh, she's, uh, she's covering the ground pretty well. She says, uh, as, a, as a potential strike looms, okay, this is a week ago, so the strike was declared last night. So she says, last week, as a potential strike looms over the Detroit three automakers, the United Auto Workers, and that's the UAW, uh, is pushing for a substantial pay increase for its members, 46% over four years. What's 46%? That's 46 divided by four. Let me, get a, let me do my quick calculator here because my math sucks. Calculator 46 divided by four equals 11.5. So it's 11.5% pay increase every year. Now, inflation is about getting close to 4%, I think. All right. So 11.5, they're way over uh, inflation, but inflation is scheduled to get worse. So as inflation goes up to 7%, maybe 10%, that 11%, uh, 11.5% increase doesn't seem so uh, illogical. It actually seems very logical. So what they're doing, is they're locking in higher rates of pay now to compensate for future inflation. That's actually very smart. I would do it. Makes sense to me. So again, I support this contract. I say, go for it. If you can get more money from the auto makers, um, you know, considering all the amount that they spend on their, their execs and everybody else on the, all the way down. Sure. Go for it. Uh, anyway, it says it's a raise that Marcelina Pedraza, a Ford electrician in Chicago thinks 
is long overdue. So this is what they do. NPR. Like, let's let's go to the the person on the street. In this case, uh, of course, they always go to a woman. <laughs> and he says everything's going up. The cost of food, gas, mortgage, interest rates. Pedraza said a lot of people haven't been able to have a safety net anymore. Yeah, and that's true. So whereas people used to have savings, and they used to, they use their credit cards for you know fun stuff that they would pay off. Not anymore. Now savings are down substantially, uh, if not gone. Uh, people are using credit cards for basic groceries, basic expenses. That's new. So the the the, the national the credit card debt is is massively up. I guess they call it consumer debt or consumer credit, whatever they call it. It's up, and it shouldn't be because people are doing what uh, um, they shouldn't. They're using credit cards for things they're not supposed to use them for, which is just basic expenses. That's what your regular pay is for. Anyway, she says the UAW, which represents 150,000 workers, we said that. Uh, says General Motors, Stellantis, and Ford is not alone in asking for big pay raises over the course of their contract. In recent months, and here's where it gets interesting too, in recent months, workers across industries have fought for, and in a handful of cases, won around 50% wage increases over the next four to five years as they call out years of stagnant wages and robust company profits. Yeah, so the same companies that, um, excuse me, I think I have to, I'll be right back. So the same companies that were saying COVID relief, you know, we need COVID relief, you know, and mass mandates and all this other kind of stuff. The same companies that got trillions of dollars, you know, spent on them during COVID and, and made, you know, untold profits and all kinds of things are, you know, don't want to pay their workers. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. You know, that's why you have unions to say, uh, excuse me, uh, looks like you made a bunch of profits and we think you should share that with everybody, not just, you know, your folks at the top. And I, I agree with that. All right. That makes perfect sense to me. This country will not function without a middle class. A middle class is the most important economic group because that's that's the regular folks. If you only have, you know, poor and rich, you know, a whole lot of poor and a few rich, there's no freedom. You know, freedom is the accumulation of property. Freedom is a decent wage. Freedom is the ability to uh, take your family on vacation and go out to eat when you feel like it. And uh, some of the other things that's that's American. Okay, that is the American way of life that we have a middle class where families can do stuff together and single people can afford to do things and groups can do things. And, uh, you know, you can go take cruises and you can, uh, you know, buy property and maybe multiple properties. That's America. That's freedom. Freedom and property are inextricably linked. And part of freedom is getting a wage uh, that gives you the ability to to accumulate property and exercise freedom uh, given the cost of living. So if the cost of living is so high and the taxes is so high that, it, that what you make doesn't cover that, there's no freedom. So money is freedom. Income is freedom. And that's what these folks are advocating. So this is why I have them with unions. They're basically advocating for, for, property, for life, liberty, and property. What's wrong with that? That's American. Okay? So you look at that. I wish they'd use that argument. Maybe I should give it to them. But that's how I see it. All right. So it's a, uh, so this, this is why, oh, here we go. So Pranky says, uh, I worked building several plants in the St. Louis area, particularly Wentzville, uh, Missouri, along with Ford uh, and Chrysler. Yeah. Pianki, like I say, you got about three minutes, <laughs> you know, if you have any insights into this, but I, I find this fascinating. So then it says, uh, I'm going to get to the pilots part. I want to get the part with the pilots. Uh, so anyway, here we go. So these bold, this is back to the article, right? These bold union demands bolstered by a tight labor market and frustration throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, which was a government pandemic. Uh, there, there, there wasn't a real one. Anyways, these are paying off some sectors with raises that significantly exceed the expected rate of inflation. Okay, let me say the expected rate of inflation for now, because there's a very good chance that as the as the branded insurrection, the illegal government borrows even more money. We talked about this with Derek, you know, an hour ago. As the illegal government borrows more money, 
then the Fed is going to have to buy more treasuries, you know, to uh, to send out treasuries to loan out at a higher interest rate, you know, to and then they're going to have to print more money to cover their borrowing, uh, buying of the treasuries, you know, and so the the the, the money the money supply is going to increase. That's going to create inflation. So again, two types of inflation: government and and free market. So the government inflation, the one that, you, that starts it, is when they borrow money, spend money, and print money. So that's government inflation. Well, the prices go up. So then the, the, the workers you know, and the unions, they try to uh, you know, get uh, an increase in wages to cover the increase in the cost of living. Well, that's market inflation because that raises the prices too. So the government starts the process of inflation and raises the prices. Net effect. People want more money, which means more labor costs which means higher prices, and that raises the prices too. So you've got two, you got two things working together to raise prices. The simple answer, the easy answer, the good answer is to stop the government from borrowing money. And that is exactly why I proposed a constitutional amendment that the government, you know, make it illegal for the government to borrow. So just stop their borrowing right now. But Greg, what are they going to do in a war in a pandemic? Well, they're going to do all kinds of things, but they're not going to borrow money. <laughs> you know, they're going to have to solve it without borrowing money, which means no 20-year wars, which means no, you know, Ukraine things, which means a, a lot of corrupt spending will stop if Congress can't borrow money because there's a lot of things they have to do. So we reduce the discretionary income uh, and they're, they're stuck with things that they have to do. Well, until they change what they have to do. In other words, Social Security needs to go to uh, a private uh, retirement account. Medicare needs to go to a private health account. Education needs to go to a private school choice account. And they have to. It's just a question of when. They have to. We can't afford these things anymore. Uh, the country's going to go bankrupt. So it's only a question of when. And as I always say, the sooner the better. Let's get to the pilot. Oh, here After months of contentious negotiations that led 340,000 UPS workers. Did you know that? That there, there are three times more UPS workers than there are auto workers. That's, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. 340,000 UPS workers to, to the brink of a strike. The Teamsters. Okay, the Teamsters are really powerful. I loved I had a great time being a Teamster. It was, it was, I'm sorry. Great bunch of guys. It was, it was, it was like 98% men <laughs> that I work with. Uh, we had a blast. It was, it was like a brotherhood. We had so much fun. Well, and they call unions a brotherhood. I mean, that, that, there's a good reason for that. Anyway, so 340,000 UPS workers to the brink of a strike. The Teamsters Union in July secured a 48%. You ready for that? For, that's almost half, right? That's almost 50%. Uh, a 48% average total wage increase over the course of a five-year contract for existing uh, uh, part-time workers. So, so in other words, they, a lot of times they'll make the distinction, well, this contract only covers full-time, and then they make everybody part-time so that they don't get the wages. All right, well, you can't do that. You know? So the Teamsters, when they negotiate with UPS, and that's one of their biggest you know, individual uh, contracts is the UPS contract. And of course, that goes for all the other ones. Uh, if they, any part of FedEx or, or uh, DHL or anybody else that's uh, ground transportation that comes under the union, I don't think Amazon does because, you know, Amazon, for all their money, um, I, don't think used, I don't think the ground uh, folks have unionized. They should. They absolutely should. <laughs> you know, I, like I say, I recommend anybody, if you can unionize, do it because you're only going to get a benefit. Oh my God! You have to pay union dues. Well, would you pay, uh, you know, a hundred bucks a month if you gained, you know, three thousand dollars a month? I would. <laughs> you know, it's simple economics. The cost of union dues is nothing compared to the benefits. The benefits so far exceed the cost of the union dues as to be laughable. All right. Anyway, so forty-eight percent average total wage increase over the course of the five-year contract for existing part-time workers. Teamsters General President Sean O'Brien. What is this all Irish now? <laughs> we got Sean Fain. Sean Fain is running the United Auto Workers. Sean O'Brien, 
is running the Teamsters. It looks like the Irish have taken over. So the Irish used to be cops at the turn of the century. Now it looks like the Irish are running the unions. Oh, what a grand development. <laughs> my apologies to my listeners in Ireland. Anyway, so Sean O'Brien said the contract sets a new standard in the labor movement. Oh, yeah, it sure does. In August, the Allied Pilots Association, I don't know if they're Teamsters or not. I think they are. Anyway, the Allied Pilots Association, which represents 15,000 American Airlines pilots, and that's just one airline, right? Well, it's one of the biggest. So, so it's probably like 45,000. If you take American, Delta, and United, that's probably most of the pilots, right? 15,000 American Airlines pilots successfully pressured the airlines to increase pilots' pay by more than uh, 46% over four years. So it's about the same thing, with an immediate pay raise of more than 21%. Oh, boy. Dennis Taylor, an American Airlines 737 pilot and spokesperson for the union, said the pay bump accounts for years of stagnant wages. The last time pilots got a raise, he said, was in 2019. You know, what else happened in 2019? COVID. <laughs> COVID, I think, froze wages. Then it says it's been a long time since there have been any pain. Uh, it says reversal of decades-long trend. So almost, I'm just waiting for Mike to call in at this point. He says, last year marked the start of a notable shift. Union contracts ratified in 2022 provided workers with the highest average pay raise in more than three decades, according to Bloomberg. This is liberal. This is a liberal news source. This is National Socialist Public Radio I'm, I'm reading from. This is fascinating. This is, that trend appears to be holding up. Bloomberg law wage data shows labor contracts ratified in the first quarter of 2023 gave workers an average first-year pay increase of 7%. So that's, that's barely covering inflation. The highest uh, in a single quarter since at least 2007. So, yeah, but wages have declined. So, like I say, I'm all for workers uh, doing that. Workers, hey, you guys get more wages? Go for it. That actually helps all of us. It helps the economy. Well, gee, Greg, how come? If they get more money. Well, because they spend that money. You know, yeah, they're going to invest it, and that's going to help too. So when, so when union workers, you know, making 75000 a year, as opposed to non-union workers making 30000 a year. So how can companies survive that? How can, here's a great question, actually. This would be good. Oh, here we go. Pianki says, Social Security pays survival benefits, which is always a subject for discussion. I'm against private accounts privately invested in the markets. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm for it. <laughs> you know, uh, the Chilean system. So let me just say the Chilean system of retirement, uh, which is the model for us, I believe, says that when you start work, not 15% of the money that companies set aside for, for your pay, but 10%. So you actually get a 5% pay increase. So 10% of the money that the company would have paid to you goes into, that they've allocated to hire you, right, goes into an account that you determine where it goes. I, I would pick the S&P 500, you know, real general investment, right, or a mutual fund or something like that. And so at the, you, this, you can't touch it. It's just like Social Security. You can't touch it uh, until retirement age. But when you get it, it's not a government account where the Congress can change it at will. It's your own money. And it, it's far more, many times more, than it would be for whatever the Congress has voted for a Social Security payment. See, people forget, Social Security is not your money. It's a second income tax for the government. It's social. In other words, group security, government security. It's got nothing to do with you individually. Oh, yeah, they pay you individually, but, it's not, but it, that's not what it's for. Yeah, and Pianchi says union dues pay for operation costs of the union and salary for the business agents. Yeah, talk about that too. That's true. Yeah, politics, I think, should be, I think a lot of cases, is uh, a separate voluntarily, voluntary account. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the teams just don't heavily encourage that you donate to their voluntary political account. I'm not going to say that because they do. And they can do that, but you're free to resist it. But I'll tell you what, there is pressure. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of pressure in unions to donate to the political fund as a volunteer. 
And of course, they get you in a meeting with everybody there, and they kind of look at you, and you, know, well, you really think you should do that? And of course, you know, everybody, they always still look at me. I said, look, I'm sorry, I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to support uh, the Teamsters. You know, I'm not going to give money to the Teamsters to fund Democrats that I don't believe in. It was really interesting, and they respected me. You know, I mean, I'll be honest, that's what I said. Um, but it was quite interesting. But I had a lot of respect for the Teamsters, and they certainly got me uh, during the time that I worked as a as a Teamster. You know, the amount of money that I made. And the benefits that I got and the health plan that I had far exceeded anything I would have gotten uh, otherwise. And so that was, that was kind of a temporary thing anyway, uh, as, it, as I was between careers, as they say. <clears throat> anyway, but it was fun. It was, it was it, well, it wasn't fun. It was a lot of hard work, but it was an interesting time. All right. So middle class incomes. This is, it is a tremendous benefit um, for our economy. If we have a big middle class, and if that means union workers, then that's fine with me. And so these union workers... Um, they're, they're, they're buying things, they're buying houses, they're, they're, they're taking trips, you know, they're buying food, they're, they're supporting their families. Uh, and they can support their families because union, especially if you're like two, two union, uh, you know, parents, you got a pretty good amount of money coming in. You might have, you know, $300,000 coming in, you know, or 200,000, I mean, whatever it is, but anyway, you got money coming in. Well, that money is going to be invested or it's going to be spent. If the money is invested in the, and they buy, uh, you know, shares in the stock market, that means the companies have money that they can spend. That's what a share is. You know, you're, you're giving company your money on the anticipation that the company will make money and you will have a greater return as the share price increases and you make money or they'll pay you a dividend. And all these things go into uh, to making the economy better. So this is why I have no problem with union contracts. Pianchi says if members don't support candidates, then Soros will. <laughs> yeah. And let Soros do it. He's free to spend money. And as long as he registers as a foreign agent and complies with the election laws and declares all his spending, I don't care. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I was expecting uh, Mike at this point, and so let's. Uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, I'll, let me let me check on because he was. He actually had kind of a fun topic. You know, so I'll, I'll send him a little message like, you know, where are you? <laughs> let me do my where are you message. Uh, do, 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 and I might just uh, take a break in a second, and I might just come back with. If you can't make it, then I'll just come back with other stuff. So let's see. Um, well, let me take a break right now anyway. So I've got a couple more things to play for you. And what is it now? It is 9.07. 9.07. So we'll just do another break here and cover the things I didn't cover the first break. <laughs> and I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. 
Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. All right, where's my, my other one here? Yeah, this is the one. I don't know how I did it, but I managed to get a five-second gap <laughs> before it starts. So let's, let's play this one now. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60-second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Yes, I'm typing, doing messages and kind of all over the place here. So let me play this one now. Oh, hit the button again. There it goes. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Well, that's fun. I left the, the thing. Uh, I, left, I didn't hit the mute button. So you probably hear me clicking away on all kinds of stuff here. And uh, it's, it's been rather interesting. But it looks like uh, Mike Clinch, Mr. Science, is here. So let's uh, give him a, get him on the line here and find out what's going on. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, I'm sorry it took me so long. I, I, for some reason, I could not get a signal in downtown Milton, Florida. I don't really? know why, but well, it's the historic district, so they, they go by. Are... No, this is historic district, so they go by historic principles. And since there was no Wi-Fi <laughs> in the 1800s, so that's why they don't have it in downtown Milton. I'm teasing you. Well, unfortunately, I don't have a telegraph, so <laughs> you know, I I can't do that. I can't do a Lincoln, you know, we want a Gettysburg. I can't do that. Sorry. Yeah, well, and, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not up on my Morse code, so I couldn't tap the microphone, you know, and get you a, a decent message. So, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do that sometime? We'll do a Morse I code have no... message. Well, right. they did it on the Titanic. They did SOS. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, they did. I'm not sure it helped them. No, it didn't because yeah. they were too far away. Well, they were, oh. they were off course anyway. They had, they had other problems. But that'd be, hey, that'd be no, a great show to true. do if you have any, any, like, untold information on the Titanic. So that would be fascinating. Well, so, I think uh, yeah. I shared that one. Yeah. 
I think I shared that one thing with you that the Titanic could actually blame those fifteen hundred deaths on global warming. If, well, of course it is. If you really wanted well, to go let that me, far. Let me ask you a question that uh, that I started with when we had uh, Tara Tara D from our animal shelter report. I have noticed that there there's been one hurricane in Florida. I mean, it was a bad one. So I'm not you know nothing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, no no disrespect to the, the folks in Florida. They suffered a lot, but that's only one. I mean, I remember years where there's like ten. You know, I remember when Hurricane Sally oh. came through. Uh, and there was a year that was, uh, you know, uh, Harry to the left of me, something to the right. You know, here I am stuck in the middle yeah. with Fred or whatever. Whatever they, they, you know, so there's like three of them. 1991. Went by. I, I believe it that. was 1991. There was like 21 or 22 main storms. Oh, really? And I believe, if, yeah, I believe if I remember correctly, that was the same year as Aaron and Opal in 1991. There were 23 main storms. And I huh. think. If I remember correctly, I think they haven't gotten into that second set, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. They use the that alphabet if they go through mm-hmm. all of the names. Because there wasn't one for Q, and I don't think well, there was, was one for Z. They were still using girls' names uh, at that point, right? Or did they switch over? They started right. using guys' names. So they, so they only had, uh, you know, so many, so many names, right? So, you know, there, there was yeah, no hurricane, you know, Barack, you know, or, or hurricane, yeah. you know, Carter or, you know, they should have taken, my taken liberal would, politicians. My sister would know that. Okay. Yeah, my sister so, would know what year this was. So, so, so the person that named Hurricane Hillary, are, are they still employed or did they ever get in the witness protection program or what happened to them? Because that was the best <laughs> name ever. What? That was hysterical. They do have, yeah, they do. I, I can't imagine the abuse, it, it's just too easy. That's just too much easy com- <laughs> comedic fodder. You know? Oh, Unfortunately, well, I, we don't I have one joke. Kamala. I, uh, Hurricane Kamala, that's even better. Yeah. And we've been right after Hurricane uh, Hillary, H-I-J-K. Yeah, you could have gotten a Hurricane Kamala in there. Well, here's a question. So here's a question I asked yeah. uh, uh, Tara, who's an animal shelter expert, um, you know, dog and cat person. So, you know, she, she didn't mm-hmm. want to speculate, but you're the perfect person to ask this question. So if hurricanes increase with warming temperatures does the lack of hurricanes this year mean that we actually have cooling temperatures i don't you know what my sister did a study for NOAA with the hurricane hunters about 15 years ago and mm-hmm. they found that there was really not much direct correlation Oh, I know that. That's a sarcastic question. No, this, this, is, this is a rhetorical oh, question. Oh, I'm sorry. This is, this is a political question. I'm sorry. I thought so, I so what I'm saying is, yeah. the, you notice how surprisingly silent uh, the environmental wackos are. They don't say, look, look how low the hurricanes are this year. The earth is cooling. Everything's working fine. You know, your CO2 reductions are working. Of course, that's a bunch of crap, too. We know that. But they're not saying that. Of course. Because this is, this is no, the proof. No, they better say nothing. The, yeah. Yeah. But they isn't it interesting? They nothing. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah, and when you when you try and talk science to some people and people that have a particular view, like mm-hmm. global climate change and all that, when you start to present historical facts and statistics and figures, they kind of go away. <clears throat> they go away real quick. And the reason they do that is because it doesn't fit their narrative. Mm-hmm. When you look at the history of the Earth over the last, let's just take a couple thousand years, mm-hmm. their history or the history that they want doesn't fit what is the real case. Right. So that's why they are so anti-history, anti, you know, 
evidence because when you look at the overall record, it mm-hmm. doesn't support their narrative. So that's that's my view on them. I, I, yeah, so, so they're silent. Yeah. Let's get to Pianchi in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you'll find this interesting too. Pianchi, what do you think of all this? Good morning, Mike. you one of my favorites. Hey, good morning, Pianchi. On, uh, on Action Radio. But you know, climate change, what we want to call climate change, if it hadn't been for it, then hominids would still be living in trees. Not still living there, but their delay coming out of trees would have been extended. And the reason mm-hmm. why is because the weather caused a depletion in the trees. So they didn't have a way to, uh, you know, maneuver back and forth from here to there. And the reason is in the trees because the predators on the ground would try to kill them and eat them. So it caused them to come to the ground. They had to develop weapons, blunt sticks. Then they learned to put points on them so they could pure the skin of uh, their predators, the saber-toothed tigers and so on and so on. And then Erectus stood up and started walking, and, uh, you know, thus we have what we have, homo sapiens, 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 and Neanderthals. Think about it. Oh, and, and, and when you look at geologic history, when you start going back thousands and millions of years, there's all these places in the geologic record where you see these same types of events take place. But because nobody was here to record it, nobody was here to observe it, we only have the past evidence. If we had had scientists here for, say, some of the worst earthquakes in the United States were actually in Missouri. But that was 1811 or 1812, and there wasn't any. There were very few people living in Missouri at that time, so you have to put these all of these events in context and and take a look. You know, people worry about flooding. They don't even understand the flood of '93 was bad, but the flood and it was right at the end of the 20, uh, 1920s. That flood that flooded mm-hmm. the southern Mississippi Valley, that flood is what created the Army Corps of Engineers. And the uh, water retention, the dam system, was that flood that happened in the southern Mississippi Valley in 1923? Uh, don't hold me to that, but it was right in that area. So, again, well, what more about evidence. When, what about when the Mississippi froze over and people were driving their cars from the Missouri side over to the Illinois side on the, on the river? Oh, my mom used to live in a town called Commerce, Missouri. It got flooded out by the flood of 93. But they would walk right across the river to a town called Thieves, Illinois. It was all right there on the corner where the Ohio and the Mississippi came together. And she lived in Commerce, Missouri, which was right on the edge of the river. And they would walk across to Illinois. She said they did that a couple times when she was younger. So, yeah, that's, that's happened. And, you know, this whole hot summer... We're going to have more hot summers, and we're going to have more cool summers. Just look at uh, the summer Mount Pinatubo exploded again in 1991. That was a bad year. 1991, when Mount Pinatubo exploded, the northern hemisphere temperature went down like a degree and a half. And I was in the Ozarks in a cabin in August, and we had frost on our cabin. Now, anybody yeah. who's been in Missouri... Yeah, anybody that's been in Missouri in August knows it gets pretty t- it gets pretty warm. But I woke up one morning and went out to go fishing, and there was ice on my car and my fishing rods. 
So that tells you in August. Yeah. And so there was one time when the Mississippi River, <clears throat> due to earthquakes, flowed, the reverse this flow. Uh, it flowed upriver, the waters did. Yeah, that was so the, the, uh, uh, the 1811 and 1812, New Madrid earthquakes. Yeah. So I know about the New Madrid. It cost me at least uh, one good water heater. So, yes, it is much, much real. Oh, yeah, it actually is. They actually have a couple hundred quakes a year in that area. It's just that the Earth, the Midwest Earthquake Consortium, they they register all the quakes, but they're usually no more than one, 1. 1.5. About two or three times a year, you get a four. And that's, of course, noticed mm-hmm. by people in the general area. And once every 10 or 15 years, it'll let loose with a five. What's the fault line? Half that's felt... Mike, what's well, the fault line for Missouri? New Madrid Seismic Rift is what they call it. It mm-hmm. basically runs from a town called Mark Tree, Arkansas, through to southern Illinois. Mm. And what we believe happens, this is what the latest or the latest geology information I read, the North American continent, when Pangea, the original supercontinent, was splitting apart, there was a weak spot right in the middle of North America. Huh. And that weak spot happens to be southern Missouri. If you look at the way, the, if you recall the Mississippi River and the Missouri uh, boot heel, if you take a look at the way it turns down by Memphis, that entire area is seismically active. And so changes, yeah, there were, <laughs> there have been changes. And Are they ready for it? Are they ready for a lot of in Memphis? Uh, supposedly they've been planning for it for 20 or 30 years. Okay. There was a guy, there was uh, an environmentalist, his name was Ivan Browning, and he predicted, I will never forget this because it was my second or third year of teaching. It was like in uh, 19th or something. He predicted a major earthquake in the New Madrid, in the southern Missouri region, and he didn't have any real evidence for it. He was just predicting it. There was actually mm-hmm. some schools in the Boot Heel area that closed. They didn't. They stayed closed for like a week because they huh. were afraid of the earthquake. Yeah. And now, of course, he's long since gone and his idea went with him. But, it, you know, it, people don't realize they're compared to probably the greatest earthquake in North America was the Good Friday earthquake in Anchorage. That was about a nine on the Richter scale. That was so you in consider the 60s? one to ten. That was sixty, right? Yeah, that was in nineteen sixty-four. Okay. Uh, Good Friday, nineteen sixty-four. Oh, uh, great New timing. Madrid was started. I'm sorry. I said great timing. Yeah. <laughs> Good Friday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was well not for the people of Alaska. It was a bad Friday, but uh, all kidding aside, yeah, people don't know, and all this history, all this geologic and environmental history. Mm-hmm. The, the environmental wackos ignore it. They do not talk about it. We, we don't even talk about it in our schools anymore. It's it's horrible. Our kids yeah. are getting shortchanged. I'm getting a little bit of uh, road, getting a bit of road noise from you, Mike. I don't know if you can wind the windows up. It sounds like you're driving or whatever. Oh, it is to, uh... yeah. Hang on. I'm sorry. That's okay. Hang on one second. I'm kind of my own technical well, advisor. You know, 1934, 34 Ford don't have air conditioning. 
Well, let's get Mike's noise. Uh, we'll get him to a quieter position. There we go. So you, so the the yeah. Car, when do cars get air conditioning, Pianchi? Okay, there we go. Probably fifties. Yeah, well, a little better. That's good. Okay. So Pianchi was talking about cars not having air conditioning. So when did that come in? Well, I said Mike's nineteen thirty four. Mike's nineteen thirty four Ford don't have air conditioning. So. Well, that's true. All right. Well, yeah. actually, that you was know, a huge change. I, yeah, air conditioning has made living I in the drove, South possible. Yeah. I drove a Maverick. I drove a Maverick in high school and college, and it had it had four forty air conditioning, four windows and forty miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Hey, speaking of earthquakes, real quick. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, I was there for San Francisco's earthquake. I was in the the '89 earthquake. It was oh, the about, World Series, 1989. Yeah, yeah. It was about seven on the Richter yeah. scale. Uh, and so, if you ever want to talk yep. about that, you know, I'm well versed in that. And the U.S. Geological Survey is in Menlo Park, which is just down from San Francisco and is right on the San Andreas Fault. So they're located in a good place. So I'm well versed in earthquakes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to talk about that sometime, that's kind of fun. Uh, we had we actually had a topic which I want to get to, and we can come back to this. this is, I don't care what we talk about. It's the end of the week, and it's, it's just fun to have you on. Um, so, but we wanted sure. to talk about riverboats for a little bit. You had an idea for, for uh, historic Milton, because Milton has both uh, a two-lane road that has to stay a two-lane road so we don't become, you know, uh, you know, we don't commit suicide, you know, for our historic district, and it stays walkable wow. and, and rideable. Uh, and the other thing is that we have a river. So we have this unique position here. Yeah. The river the river's underutilized. And the road, you know, we need to, uh, people should use more diversions. <laughs> you know, anyway. So uh, well, what's going on, Mike? What, Tell me the story. People need, to, people need to take a look at some historic. I grew up around the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. Uh, mm-hmm. My family was very big into educating, learning about, since I come from a family of teachers, learning about where you live. And, and one of the things you learn in central Missouri, there are a lot of historic towns along the Mississippi because people coming west or a lot of the settlers coming up north, the French fur trappers and everything came north on the Mississippi mm-hmm. or came west down the Ohio, like Lewis and Clark and others, mm-hmm. and they established these settlements along the way. Now there's a lot of towns like Washington, Missouri, Kinswick, Missouri. There are these historic river towns that have built up around this idea of maintaining the history of the Missouri or Mississippi River Valley. Huh. So what what I think Milton could do, and I really honestly believe this, I, I've got a couple people that have kind of debated me about it a little bit. I think you could have a, a river cruise kind of talking about the history of the area and, you know, the fact it was settled by the French and by the English and by the Spanish. You know, there's a lot of history here. And mm-hmm. you could have a river cruise like a I know that it's not all deep enough, but you could take a, maybe a paddle boat, something like that, a modern paddle boat or something out into East Bay and go around and then come back to the dock right there along the highway and by the Veterans Memorial. That would be a great river river spot to do that. And you could celebrate. And I had somebody ask me about dinner cruises. Yep, that would be great. And I said, well, it depends on, you know, if, you, if you could find some, Party yeah, man. I went on one this. Yeah, hot dogs. The yeah. uh, I went on a river cruise on the uh, Seine last summer. We went to France, uh-huh. and I did a river cruise on the boat. They had a guy that sang like Frank Sinatra, and everything. it was really pretty cool. And the food was not too bad either. So well, it better be good. It, it's it, it's you Paris. Know, if, you, if you're in Paris on the Seine, it better be good food. <laughs> That's you know, what they're known for. Yeah. <laughs> 
or build them on the black knights. Did, did you ever come down yeah. to St. Louis and ride the Admiral or the Hook Finn? It was paddle boats. I did. Growing up, we rode the Admiral. The CYC, the Catholic Youth Council, used to sponsor dances once a month on the Admiral. Now, for those of you who don't know about this, the Admiral was an old, strengthless steamer, and it was actually a, a ferry that had two levels on it, and they turned it into a park, basically a big party boat. And so you had homecomings there. People had, uh, like I said, the CYC-sponsored dances. Oh, yeah, for years we went down to the Admiral. And it was always a great, you know, a great time, but it 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 finally fell apart. <laughs> you know, as all good things come to an end. They finally just got rid of it a few years ago. It was sitting up north of St. And Louis you, on the Missouri River, on the Mississippi. And you know, uh, Alex is the mayor of St. Louis, owned uh, one of the Columbus ships that was down on the riverfront, too. And of course, AJ it's Cervantes. AJ Cervantes, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. He brought uh, the was it the Santa Maria? It was a re, it was a reproduction, and yeah, they had that on the riverfront. And it and the floating McDonald's, unfortunately, during one of the floods, it wasn't '93. It was one of the floods before that. Uh, the the McDon- the floating McDonald's and the Santa Maria broke loose, and well. Let's just say they had a sinking feeling. So, yeah, it was in the bottom of the river for years yeah. before they brought it cool. up. And everybody was just disappointed What's, about uh, floating down. <laughs> I want to talk about riverboats because I love riverboats. And I lived yeah. in two cities where we had uh, evening dinner cruises, or, or as we used to call them, booze cruises. And so it was really popular yep. for, for singles, for fun. They had live music on board. So both Boston and Boston Harbor and San Francisco and San Francisco Harbor and out of Oakland also had booze cruises. And so you'd go out 45 minutes, an hour and a half, whatever it was. You'd, you'd have sunset or you'd have like afternoon cruises. And this was huge. Now, Milton could not, I think, support a full-size riverboat. I just don't think we have the people no. yet. But we could support a smaller uh, maybe not live music, but uh, maybe uh, like a uh, disco recorded music or a DJ kind of thing, you know, and we could have some fun. You could do like an afternoon family cruise and then do a nighttime, you know, alcohol uh, adult cruise. And I think we could definitely oh, do that at Milton. Oh, you could do like, uh-huh. yeah, rehearsal, uh, wedding rehearsal, dinners, things like wedding. that. You get have married on the water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah they so could, it'd have... be available for charter. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike like the hook fan. Well, like is there the a smaller riverboat yeah, down on the river too? Yeah, is there a smaller uh, riverboat? I don't know if there are like the old historic ones or, or that maybe holds hundred people, maybe two hundred the most. Not a huge one, but a smaller riverboat where you could do a wedding on it, where you could do because we're always thinking things. Yeah, like, we, and, and, and but if people think we're just talking about our little town of Milton here, just to put people in, in where we are. So Milton is near Pensacola, Florida. So if you're looking at a map of Florida, we're on the Gulf of Mexico. We're on the far upper left northwest corner of Florida. You know, uh, Pensacola is the home of the Blue Angels. And so it's a beautiful area, a lot of history. Um, Milton used to be Milltown, M-I-L-L, Milltown. So they cut trees here and they yep. shot them down the river. Okay, so that's how Milton got to start. There were slaves here. You know, we've got, uh, we've got an interesting history. Um, so those are, you know, and now we have a historic district. 
Uh, and there's a couple of really – but the reason I want to talk about this is because a lot of towns have historic districts. There's a lot of places in this country where there is pressure to put, you know, highways through these historic districts. And, and uh, the, comp- the organization is called Strong Towns. In fact, I've even had uh, uh, the, the president of that, Charles Marin, has been on the show a couple of times. I've got a video of his on our video, Action Radio video page, talking about you have to keep your, your, your smaller roads. You have to let people – you have to have other roads that people can take instead. Major roads like four lanes attract more traffic. They don't, they don't make you go faster. You go faster initially, but then everybody takes them. So you end up destroying your historic yep. district. You remove your, uh, your ability of people to walk. And the secret of any historic district is walkable streets, maybe even bikeable, but walkable streets and lots of retail outlets. So my plan is, and this goes for any town in the country that has a historic district, we have a river. We need to use it. We need a boat dock. We need boat facilities. We need fuel. We need uh, easy access to the town, which you have. You just basically walk up the dock, and there it is. So we need more restaurants, more retail sure. outlets. You know, we need more food catering for the boats so people can, like, order, you know, and get their food brought to them down at the dock. I mean, there's all these things that can happen, all right? So we've got to keep our town. We need to put uh, my idea. There's two streets. That, there's a really horrible intersection right at the base of the bridge that causes all the traffic problems. My solution is you put a cul tac on the northern street, it's called Willing Street, W-I-L-L-I-N-G. Yep. So you put a cul-de-sac there, so there's no need for a traffic light. All right? You can leave the bottom street open, and you can put a cul-de-sac there, too. But there's plenty of side streets to get onto it. So you, you remove that, that traffic light. So traffic on the two-lane road can flow just fine. There's no tie-up at the base of the bridge by making one road a cul-de-sac. And so that road then becomes more and walkable. And that'll make it. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pedestrian mm-hmm. friendly. That yeah. would make that more pedestrian-friendly route. Absolutely. And so here's another you, thing. Yeah, go you ahead. Could, go ahead. Well, no, you could do, like I said, if people will go online and look up Washington, mm-hmm. Missouri, and St. Charles, Missouri, uh, and Kimswick, Missouri, they will see how these towns will develop into mm-hmm. tourist attractions, walking yeah. areas. Now, in Missouri, mm-hmm. we're very lucky to have a lot of wineries in that area. That helps mm-hmm. tremendously. Mm. It's people coming to wineries down here. Not so much. It's too. It's really too hot for grapes down here. So, yeah, well, there's a, there's Emerald Coast but, wineries. I'd like to go to Florida because don't forget in San Francisco, I was a frequent visitor to both the Napa yeah. and Sonoma Valley. So we had the best wines in the world. <laughs> I got spoiled. Um, I don't expect oh, Florida yeah. wines to be the same because the stuff's not the same, and you don't have the fog, you don't have the the coastline, you don't have the volcanic right. soil, you don't have any cool, of the stuff that we the have in cool California. Weather. Yeah, well, you had cool and hot. You had hot summer days, but you had cool nights and cool mornings when the fog rolled in. And the grapes love sure. that difference in temperature. So you got a cool, foggy morning and oh, a hot yeah. afternoon, and then a cool, foggy evening, especially Sonoma. Sonoma, I think, has better wines than Napa. So Napa's overrated. Napa's for the heartier, drier wines. Sonoma's for the, the, the fruitier, mm-hmm. more, more the, the Beaujolais, the, the younger wines. You know, uh, so it just now, depends on what you want. Now, if you want a really good, yep, if you really want a sweet wine, they make what's called an ice wine. They wait Who until did? the temperature when the grapes freeze. Uh-huh. When the grapes uh-huh. freeze that morning, they go out in the vineyards and they pick them all and start processing them while they're still frozen. Really? It seals the, t- the sugar, yes. It seals the what? sugar into it. It is almost like an after-dinner cordial. It's wow. really sweet. I mean, if you like yeah, a that, sweet that, that, white that. wine. Huh. Yeah. Well, if yeah, I want something sweet, I'll drink wine. a fork. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't yeah, see, uh, uh, see I, Well, that's if you want a sweet it, wine. I'm more the, uh, the the Chardonnay for the, the, the white wines and the, uh, yeah. um, you know, Zinfandels and Pinot Noirs and uh, 
what's the other what, Cabernet Cabernet Sauvignon is the good one for the well yeah, we should do a wine yeah. show too be, we'll have a wine discussion all right so let's get back to Riverboat there you so go for anybody that, so for anybody okay. that's in a historic town and as uh, across the country and across the world because there's a lot of places where towns are built on rivers because that was the transportation system that was the highway sure you know un, until until yep. until the 1900s the highways were the rivers or the oceans those, those are the trade routes and everything else so it makes sense to have towns on rivers so if your town has a river and now we have three things here that would be incredible. One, Willing Street, like we just talked about. We turn one of those into a cul-de-sac, we eliminate the traffic light. That would be huge. The second thing we have is this amazing theater called the Imogene, which was built in 1912, same year as the Titanic, that could easily hold national yep. acts. And you're close enough to those national acts. I saw B.J. Thomas there. You know, raindrops keep falling on my head. That B.J. Thomas, he was here. Yep. The audience was like five feet from him. They could talk to him. They're asking him questions. Unbelievable place. I love the Amagene. Uh It's haunted, too, by the way. There's, there's spirits in there, but we'll save that for another day, too. Across the street from the Amagene, <laughs> if you all visualize this, okay? If you all visualize this, across from this, this huge, beautiful theater uh, is the old courthouse. Now, the courthouse needs to go into the courthouse market. It needs to become a, a, a place of, of shops, crazy hat shops, retail places, gourmet food shops, restaurants, uh, and all kinds of specialty places. So you get that across across to get the restaurant facility and the food place across from the Imogene. Now they work together. They bring in more people. We also need a parking lot. Oh, yeah. You know, like a three-level garage. Okay. And we need, but, uh, but don't let trucks come through. We've got to ban the trucks. And we take Willing Street and we get more businesses in there. And then the third component of this, so you get the Imogene, you got the courthouse. The third component is the river. So this is where we need riverboat yep. cruises. So I think they all have to work together. Otherwise, they're not going to work. But if we can get a, a mid-sized riverboat and we have, we've had boat tours going out of the river. I mean, I remember them. They were small boats, but we've mm-hmm. had boat tours. You know, we have people, we have the, uh, in fact, it's already started again, the, the bands on the Blackwater. We have free concerts every Friday, uh, yeah. eight weeks in the spring and eight weeks in the fall. Okay. Well, that's the perfect time for a booze cruise. So the concert starts at 7. Oh, so yeah. The booze cruise leaves at uh, 5.30. It's back by 6.30, and you walk to the concert. You know, and, and, and then you have one. And that's open my winery. Uh, Mike first, then, and then we'll get to Pianchi, because I've been talking a lot. Mike, go ahead. Okay. I could open up my winery uh, right there on the main drag, right there on Willing, and have okay. the winery open, and people come to the winery and do tastings and whatever, and okay, purchase, and then go on down to the riverboat. I'll broadcast from there. I, I would love to see a if, if you got a wine, if you want to do a wine tasting, if you do a winery in downtown Milton, we'll call it Willing Willing Winery, <laughs> Willing Street Winery, or something like that. You know, I'll mm-hmm. do everything I can to help Are you. you I'm willing serious. to drink? Uh, no, that yeah, especially if you do uh, wine tastings on the dock, on the river. Oh my God, this is great. Okay, I've, I've monopolized enough. Pianchi, what do you think of all this? <laughs> well, let me tell you what's down on St. Louis, and you might get some ideas. <clears throat> sure. They've got across the river. They got the uh, Casino Queens. It's a casino. You got a Casino Queen on the Missouri side, right at the foot of Washington Street. Mm-hmm. We had two small river boats, the Huck Finn and I think the Tom Sawyer. How big were they? We how, had the USS Missouri. How many passengers? The USS Missouri. I don't remember oh. how many passengers. I know I rode it, but I don't know okay. how many passengers. I would it probably say small. 50 to 75. I'd say 50 yeah, really? I think it would go up river. Yeah. I think it would go up river to the McKinley Bridge, then it turned around and came back. Yeah, and then and it we turned around the and came back. Yeah, that you sounds remember about the USS Missouri? Yep. The, the battleship? It was mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. Yeah. We had so it was, uh, a And also another thing we have is horse-drawn carriages, too, that carry yep. uh, uh, passengers and tourists. I, I know and the also horse we person. have double-decker. 
Yeah. Double decker oh. buses with the really? top side open. Okay. Yeah. I, we're not big enough for that. Yep. We're so walkable. Milton is so compressed. It's, it's so much of a walkable city. I think the horse-drawn carriages would be fabulous. Um, I think a, a 50 to 75-passenger riverboat would be perfect. I think these are all good ideas. We might even support two of them. I don't know. But certainly we could start with one. And, and especially started offering cruises, you know, before the bands on the Blackwater concerts when we get several, what, a couple thousand people showing up in town anyway. This is great. Yeah. I'm going to send you this to what? the Historic Society. Yeah, this, this, rec- this is recording. It's going to go to... Uh, uh, a bunch of different places. This is good news. This is all. This is all good information. So keep going, Mike, and then Pianki. You know something we need. Yeah, something we need to do. And I, I say this, and some people don't like it when I do. But the fact is that uh, Santa Rosa County and the region is more than a one-trick pony. Mm-hmm. In other words, we have more than just the beaches. Because <clears throat> yep. I kind of put the military in their own category. So mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to tourism. We're more than the beaches. We advertise the beaches. We talk about the beaches. I mean, everything's aimed at the beaches. But imagine if you had a historic river town where people could go and enjoy a glass of wine on a river like that Uh without necessarily the crowds along the beach. I think it could be done. Oh, I know it can be done. I, I just with the umbrellas, you know, the umbrella tables, keep you out of the sun. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what. If I won the lottery, <laughs> uh, no, we don't need to if do I that. Won no, the no, lottery, this is, this is no. What we need are business entrepreneurs, yeah. and we need venture capital. And so, what I want to do is, I'm going to take this recording, and I'll I'll put it on the Save Historic Milton Facebook page. It's going to go on my Milton Renaissance Project, which Mike, you should join too. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get a business association together, but they might be able to help you with your your winery. You know, if you did an in-town winery, oh, yeah. uh, and I know, I know people in California, I could probably get you direct connections because friend, friends of mine were wine tours, wine tour guides, you know, but it wouldn't be hard for you to oh, make yeah. the connections. Just, I can point out some really great smaller wineries that would probably love to ship you, you know, some very good California wines that would not be available because they're not the, 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 the Ingle Nook or the, uh, the, the, the Gallo or some of these other huge, you know, factory yeah. Behringer, the factory wines. I, well, I know these little places. And so, you know. I would carry a line of the Missouri wines from the Missouri wine district around the go. Missouri and Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. The reason being, so many people from the Midwest and the St. Louis area and Missouri and Illinois vacation down here. It's yeah. an eight to ten hour drive, depending mm-hmm. on where you're going to, maybe twelve hours. It's an eight and to ten hour drive anywhere from I mean, from Missouri. Come on, let's get real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just I mean, you know, it's it, it, I call it. I'm from the state of Missouri, but. The the point is, you could have uh-huh. those people cater to those people. They come down here and see something they know, and mm-hmm. see a Blumhoff winery or something like that, and they would say, "Hey, that's the same company I drink in Missouri," and so you have people start coming in that's doing that as well. And yeah. it would be New really, York. New York yeah, it has wines fun. too. New York State apparently has some really good wines. I don't know those at all, but uh, it wouldn't be hard to figure yeah. them out. Yeah. Well, the good liquor store in but town. You know, I don't think they specialize in wines. I don't know if they. I, they don't think they have tastings. But anyway, go ahead, Pianki. My hat's off to Pensacola, but you know, the more and more we, I think about it, the St. Louis area was superb. You had Anheuser Busch, where it had right. its tours. You get to drink free beer. You had uh, University City, where you had the trolley rides and all the shops. Downtown St. Louis, you had Second Street where they took the old buildings, they go back to the sums to the 1700s, and they turned them into shops and eateries. I mean, it's just, uh, it was something else. 
Yeah. Uh, Mike just dropped, so I, I was going to send him a quick message. Although he probably knows he dropped. <laughs> so we were trying to, you know, send a little quick here. Call back. Um, but this is this is all good information. Again, just to let folks know, we have a couple of different things um, that are available. We have the Save Historic Milton uh, page. Anybody can go to that. You don't have to be in Milton. But see what we're doing here to preserve uh, our town and, and uh, get the economics going. And the second thing is I have the Action Radio Milton Renaissance Project. And that is dedicated to forming a business association. I'm already talking to folks here about this, uh, where we bring in and have an opportunity for someone like Mike, if he wants to bring a, a winery and a wine tasting place into Milton, this would be the perfect town for that. You know, it's small, it's walkable. You know, we've got three, you know, big, big things. You've got Willing Street, both uh, the north and the south side. And again, especially if we, we uh, block off one of those, so there's no need for, for a traffic light. You've got the Imaging Theater. You've got the big old courthouse. You've got huge fields f- behind it for outdoor conference, uh, concerts. Um, we've got a few really good restaurants in town. And we've got this river with this, this beautiful dock that's completely underutilized. So this is, this, is an, uh, this is an entrepreneurial situation just waiting to happen. And so I think that historic towns, as long as it stays walkable, and so what we're fighting is this ridiculous idea to put a four-lane freeway four right lane. through our town, build an extra bridge. It, it would kill the town. It would absolutely kill the town. Anyway, so that's what's going on. Now, I've got a question again. to ask you. Yeah, go ahead. How are you going to handle the crime? How are you going to have the smash, the slash and run and loot? I don't know. I think everybody here carries. Especially I don't think if it's a you problem. got a large black population. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody's got a gun here, Pia. you got a large <laughs> black population in the area, like you see in, in Los Angeles or San Francisco. you got to talk yeah. about it like it really is. Yeah. Then you got that problem. And then your police wow. is handcuffed, so you're going to have to say police and go back to cracking heads. Well, we don't really have that here. That's more of a Pensacola problem because they have a lot more illegals and they have a higher crime rate. Milton does not have – Milton's tiny. You know, I don't know how many people are in the county or how many people in the city. I think the city of Milton's like 11,000, and that's beyond the historic area. The historic area might only have a few thousand people living here. You know, and the actual town is probably um, you know, a couple of hundred yards north of the main street, a couple hundred yards south of the street, and maybe about 300 yards, you know, uh, from the imaging of the courthouse to the river. It's a very small area. We're talking on, on the northern end of Willing. Uh, so you've got, you got East West Street. That's, that's Caroline Street. That's the main street through town. That's the one that goes uh, across the river. Then you've got a north and south running street called Willing. I want to block off the northern part of that uh, street so that we don't need the traffic light. And so you're basically talking about a central block, and you've got a river on one side, and you've got about you know, 300 yards maybe or probably 200 yards of stuff after that. It's very tiny. So as far as the crime problem, Unless we become so big that we have a major tourist attraction and thousands upon thousands of people are coming here, I don't think we're going to have a crime problem. I just don't. But it's, a good, it's an interesting thing to consider. I had not thought of that. So that's, that's definitely uh, something to consider. But if we get more money, we can hire more police. You know, if the town revenues are up, we get more tourists here and more businesses. Um, I don't know. We have to wait and see what happens. You know, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But, of course, Brandon's illegal. There's a factor. What if Brandon's illegals want to take up residence in one of our, you know, not quite developed stores yet? I don't know. You know it hasn't happened. Well, well, that's what killed downtown St. Louis. The uh, it was a crime. You had restaurants like Calico's, uh, Mike Shannon's, Charlie Gito's, uh, Hooters, <laughs> and the Second Street, the Spaghetti House. All those had to close because of the crime. Yeah, but that's and a it was mostly uh, young black males, 
Well, I'll the tell you, this mosques is, uh, that they built where people yeah. were moving back in, they was turning uh, old factories into lofts. It was coming down the streets doing burnouts, donuts, and the crime that went on in some clubs there on Washington Street. Is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to have street parties down there. You don't have that stuff no more. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you should say that. This is this is a, a predominantly white area. Um, and I say that coming from an area that was everything in San Francisco was everything. Um, but we do not have a large population of young black males in the town of Milton uh, causing high crime. You just don't. And so that's fascinating. Now, Pensacola uh, has, I don't know the areas that well, but I think it has a predominantly black area and the crime is higher. I think they have an illegal alien area and the crime is higher. And so we know that there are populations that commit proportionally more crime, but in the, in the, in the city of Milton, it doesn't exist yet. And so in that way, it's, it's kind of nice. This is sort of like Mayberry in some respects. You know, it's an older throwback. So this is the, this is the perfect place to, to have a town. And I don't think people here would be really tolerant uh, of crime anyway. Uh, and they're not really tolerant of government either. It's kind of interesting that if, if the government programs came in, people would reject it. We rejected mask mandates before anybody else. We had a, uh, a Mardi Gras parade when everybody else was outlawing them. So there's, there's a bunch of rebels here. I think, I think that uh, if a crime contingent tried to move in, um, not only would the police go after him, but the rest of us would too. I don't think it'd really be a problem. At least I hope not. Well, you know, in St. Louis, they have bridges. Uh-huh. They got the uh, Eden's Bridge that goes across the river into Illinois. And then you had the Martin Luther King Bridge that goes across the river into Illinois. And the police used to stop those that was coming from East St. Louis and turn them around because they, in fact, was an escape route for people that would commit crimes and theft. They run across yep. the bridge over in Illinois, believe it or not. But well, we got to look at county those sheriff. things because the business yeah. are going. The business are going to want to know how will we be protected. No, it's a really good point. Like I said, I hadn't even thought of it. Um, probably because we don't have a, a lot of crime around here. Uh, in fact, the worst thing that happened to me was when uh, uh, these teenagers were throwing eggs at people in the middle of uh, the night. I happened to I had to drop my car off for some work, and I had to walk home. And uh, I was like the only person walking around because normally I wouldn't do that. Normally we drive everywhere in your bike ride. So so I got an egg tossed at me. Right. This is kind of funny. And so, uh, uh, oh, there's Mike again. So I had an egg tossed at me, and I hit my ankle, and I looked down, and I went, damn, there's an egg. And I saw a car drive by, and I said, I think I know who did it, but I wasn't quite sure. Anyway, they pulled into a gas station, and I looked at them, and they looked at me, and I thought, uh-huh, I think they're the ones that did it. So then I started walking home, and then they found me again, right? And now they're throwing eggs at me. And so I said, smile. <laughs> I said, you're all on video, and I'm sending this to the police. And I had their car, and I had the, the taillight that was out in the back, and I had their license plate. I sent the whole thing to the police. And so I called the police and said, i got a video coming to you guys. I said, these guys have been throwing eggs at me uh, downtown right now. I was like, oh, yeah? Really? Let's see the video. <laughs> so I sent it to the And, of course, and, and then you know, that was it. And within five minutes, uh, they, they probably had been arrested. Uh, they were gone. And so I didn't have any problem after that. But said so our police force is good. I mean, I know the sheriff, uh, county sheriff uh, Johnson. Uh, I think, uh, is it Tinsdale is the, uh, the chief of police of Milton? So we've got a good police force from Milton, and we've got a good, really good county sheriff. And so I don't think they'd put up with a high crime uh, in San Luis <laughs> County. Mike, what do you think? Because this is a, well, a question of crime. Since I was a mayor of a town and we had a police department of 10 officers, I have a little bit of experience in this. Okay. And it's it's... <clears throat> It's unfortunately, I hate to say this, it's not an exact science, 
You would like mm-hmm. to think that everything's perfect and everything works out the way it's supposed to. Oh, I don't think anything's perfect, you know. Yeah. No, you're dealing, you're dealing with a group of people that don't follow rules, okay? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you've got to remember. So when you understand that they don't follow rules, then everything else just kind of naturally falls in place, mm-hmm. or should I say falls over, whichever the case can be. You know, and, and it's hard sometimes, particularly if you have – we have uh, – our community when I first started there was very poor. We had half mm-hmm. our kids on federal free and reduced lunch. Which is a lot of kids, and that's a serving. good measure of. Yeah. 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 Well, they should be serving breakfast and uh, lunch. lunch. They should be paying for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the idea of oh, kids yeah. bagging their lunch. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, how about crime well, milk? They, we only got about uh, six or seven minutes left, and Pianki raised the point, and it's true, that um, purport, yeah. disproportionately young black males commit the crimes. You look at the looters, you look at the gang shootings, it's young black males. And we don't have a population, a big population of young black males in Milton. Now, we have a, there's a, a part of Milton I know is, has uh, black residents, and there's a Martin Luther King Church there. I was there. I was there for a Martin Luther King Day. Mm-hmm. Um, had a great time. It was fabulous. But, but the point is that there isn't a, a, a contingent of young black men looting, robbing. There's not a gang here. So we don't have that issue, which is kind of interesting. I think, I think it has to do to a certain extent with families. I okay. think if you have a family, if you have an intact family unit, <clears throat> if you have a group of people that, you know, being a family and, and being involved together makes a lot of difference. It gives them a, a foundation. I think a lot of these folks, gentlemen, whatever, that are part of the crime, engaging no, in crime, I don't think <laughs> they have that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they have that, yeah, that my, background. You can't make yeah. people get married. And you know, well, no, I'm sitting no. here thinking. I know. You we think about people what, be good parents. No. Trust me. Thinking about what we had in five years. Thinking yeah. about what we had in St. Louis area, all those things are closed now. Look at Ballpark yep. uh, Village. They built Ballpark yep. Village. The first day it did it open, you had a shooting there, and these are young black these are black males that done that. So yep. we got to call things the way it is, because nobody's going. Hey. Look, Charlie Gito's is gone. You got the Hooters gone. No. You got Calico's is gone. The only thing is left is the arch, and I don't expect it. I expect it to be missing one morning. I wake and, up, and they've had they've had people murdered in the uh, parking garage of the arch. So you know it's it's I I I kind of I pine or cry a little bit for my old hometown because St. Louis was such a great. Uh, if people want to know what it looks, what St. Louis is like in terms of structurally, the way it looks, Baltimore is very close to it. And unfortunately, Baltimore crime is also very close to it. My son lives in Baltimore. So well, these are I, Democrat I cities. Let's be honest. These are Democrat, yep. welfare, urban cities. And, you know, when Mike made the comment about families, and I, as I bike ride all over Milton as I do, um, there's uh, these, these older homes. Uh, it appears that most of the vast majority of residents are homeowners and their families. And whether they're black or white, it doesn't matter. These are families, long-term families. Um, because this, these are historic homes, so they'll probably passed down through families. So maybe that has a larger extent. Yeah. And maybe maybe because we have a better sheriff and we have a good chief of police, there just isn't a, a big crime. There's no roving gangs of young black men in Milton. There just isn't. Yeah, but you have to be careful because if you, if you 
or say white there's not gang members. You know. Well, yeah. not that I know of. I mean, it'll I could come be wrong, back, but I haven't come seen back it. to bite you. Well, no, but we, yeah, we, you mean, know, we try to be honest here. We, we, don't, we don't want to be, we mm-hmm. don't want to couch our language because someone might be offended. That's not true. Um, the fact is that young black men commit the, the vast majority of the disproportion of crime, and that's a problem, yeah. and that needs to change, and we need to deal with that, and families are a huge part of that. But as Pianchi says, you can't force people to get married, but it's a cultural thing. We as American culture yeah. need to get back to a culture that rewards families and has incentive for families over single parents. I mean, that's just that's probably the single greatest deterrent yeah. to crime right there is to not make uh, welfare and pay family. for single parents over, over married families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And so, so Milton, but, but is Milton, I don't know what the racial makeup of Milton is. I'd say it's mostly white. Um, and it's like, uh, like I say, it's an old Mayberry town, but we have, you know, we have, uh, uh, I think it's, it's either white or black. I don't see a lot of Asian folks in town here. Uh, the closest would be the, the uh, I guess, the Philippine and the Vietnamese uh, shrimp fishermen, but they're more Pensacola. But it's really interesting. This is this right. is a really white town, you know, compared to San Francisco. And I remember when I first got here, it's like, where's everybody else? <laughs> you know, where are all the other folks I'm used to? You know, where are the Hispanics and Asians and the black people? <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's just. Uh, but it, it is it is a peaceful place. I don't see this area. It's not big enough. I don't see the the the, the gang situation here. Like, I don't know what's underground. You know, who knows? And who knows what the illegals, what Brandon's illegals are going to do if they start locating in Milton? Well, We're going to have a problem. Now remember. There has been a lot of those apartments in Pensacola. They've had some issues with shootings there and some murders. Are, you know, are these housing projects or are these private apartments? Well, they're subset. They're Section Eight, as far as I know. There Section were some eight? issues with some of the. Yeah, there were some issues with uh, the people who were managing the complexes, uh-huh. and people were. Uh, <clears throat> You know, coming around that shouldn't have been around. Non-residents. Let's put it this way. Non-residents. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that's that's something you have to watch out for. Now, we never had that in my city. We didn't mm-hmm. have – we had mobile home parks, which is a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the you have to kind of watch the top to bottom. You have to kind of be situationally aware when that kind of stuff is going on because yeah, but, just when you think you've got it nipped in the bud, it, it can come back to haunt you. Yeah, but we're a – I mean, Pensacola is probably more liberal uh, than, than uh, Milton is. You know, we're just 30 minutes away. But oh, we yeah. are a predominantly Republican, predominantly conservative, predominantly a family values mm-hmm. area. You know, we are a law and order kind of place. Like I say, a good sheriff, good uh, Milton police. Uh, this is this is like Mayberry. This is like going back, you know, 50 years. It's kind of interesting. So this is the perfect place, being the peaceful place that it is, for developing, you know, a historic area that could be historic. You know, with National Axe yeah. at the Imogene, with, you know, a gourmet restaurant uh, facility at the old courthouse, with uh, a river area with river boats and free concerts and, you know, all the other things that are, and more restaurants and more places for people to come and different uh, and your your winery with your wine tasting. I mean, this would be and plus action, the home of action radio. You know, the, the potential yep. of this area is staggering. And yet, I think our city council gets in the way of that. I think that we have the, the old guard people that don't want any change of anything. They want things to stay exactly as they are. And then you've got the contingent mm-hmm. that wants to destroy it so they can shorten their commute by 10 minutes, you know, instead of uh, picking a different yeah. day, different time or different uh, route. You know, they want to put a massive freeway through our historic district. So that's what we're fighting right now. And that's what needs to uh, Yeah, they want to change. know. My, yeah, go ahead, Mike. My impression yeah, my impression is, Greg, they want a quick way to avoid I-10 to go from Milton to Pace. 
Yeah, that's what this whole thing is. They're about. so selfish because the people oh. that want this big four lane don't live here. They they want to go through. No, they just they just want to drive through the town no. faster. Well, that's selfish. That's yeah. unbelievably selfish to me. Go around, as yeah, I say, Milton, drive to. to yeah, Milton, drive to, not through. Go ahead, Mike, and then we'll get Pianchi's yeah. comment. Go ahead. Big yeah, comment. Yeah, the, Sum it up. The, uh, the, <laughs> they need to put a third lane on I-10. I'll yeah. leave it at that. There needs to be a third Absolutely. lane on I-10. Yeah, going from, from the border, basically, all the way through yeah. from Florala and the Alabama border, all the yeah. way through <clears throat> to 10 to 15 miles the other side of Destin. Yeah, and three, mi- three, lanes, three lanes each direction. Uh-huh. Do you know how long it takes to get yep. from uh, from, ni- from Caroline Street, which is uh, 90, um, down 87? Do you know how long it takes to get to uh, I-10, which is this huge interstate freeway from, from Caroline, the I, road that they want to experience? I Two just got done driving that, Two minutes. believe it or not. I'm talking to you, and I just got done driving it. It takes two minutes. Yeah, there wasn't anybody. Yeah. It takes two minutes to there go from nobody. Caroline to a major interstate freeway. Two minutes. Mm-hmm. But they want to, and for they that, want to make it more, con- quote, more convenient for the And they want to destroy people. our town? These people can't take two minutes to drive down to the interstate freeway? And then it takes a little longer to get back. Maybe it's like five minutes to get back to, uh, to uh, Caroline Street from, uh, from the other side of Milton. Yeah. You got two minutes one way, you got oh, five yeah. minutes the other way. And for that... For that, they want to sacrifice our town with a four-lane freeway? No. And this is – and let me tell you a little secret. This act, there's uh-huh. a connection here. Okay. You know, the TPO, the Transportation Planning Organization, I've sat mm-hmm. in on their last two meetings mm-hmm. about how the money is divvied up for the, mm-hmm. the five-year transportation plan. Mm-hmm. There was not one state legislator either of these meetings. They were making decisions on millions of dollars of state money going for road improvements, and nobody, no uh, Senator Broxson, uh, uh, Alex Andrade, Joel Rudman, none of them were at either of these meetings. And I were they allocating called out? Huh. Yeah, were they allocating money for Milton? So well, did it, are they? It's Are they trying to spend money on, on uh, sacrificing our town with the freeway or no? Is that a priority or no? I, oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's, plan, there's money in there for PD&E, you know, planning and developing and engineering. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can find this all on the website. Okay, but is, the, is there – are they actively interested in destroying our town with the freeway or is it like a back burner low priority project? I uh, – I got to be honest with you. I think they're keeping it low, low, low priority good. visually. That's good news. So I, what we need to do, yeah, what we need to do is get as many businesses as possible to make it as difficult as possible for them to to four lane it. That's what we need. And you know, and you have to apply pressure to the electric. You got to apply pressure to drive two. Okay, one at a time, guys. Yeah, drive to not through. Yeah, let's get Pianchi then, Mike. So, Pianchi, you got a comment? Yeah, I'm getting ready to get off and pass time. But no, drive to not through. That's a great slogan. That's a big sign that you should have uh, leading to the way. That way, people yeah can say yeah. I've I've been trying to get a bumper sticker. Yeah, Milton, drive to not through. Yeah. Well, let me talk to you next week. And uh, Mike, you want to sum up? Yep. Yeah, I was going to say when when these kind of efforts. The efforts that we need in places like Milton, it takes more than one or two people. When I was um, during my short campaign for county commissioner, 
I went and talked to several people, Kim McCarthy and some of the other folks up mm-hmm. there in Milton, because I wanted mm-hmm. to find out the whole county, what the mm-hmm. feeling was. And the feeling was that Milton's just kind of, you know, since they built the new courthouse and everything way out of downtown and everything else, they kind of forgot it. I don't know if it's deliberate, but I, I think their focus has changed. And they're looking at that's on the way to pace. Everything's about pace. Everything's about escaping. Yeah, well, you, you, you can keep pace. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, we've yeah. got oh, – and, and, and we do have new businesses. Slower we, pace. Yeah, slow, slower, slower pace. pace. You need a slower pace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in Milton, we've got just to let folks know, we've got uh, you know, uh, Beardless Brew House is back open. We've got the Bistro Restaurant. We've got uh, Brew Angels in the old post office. We've got Gulf Coast Garage, yep. uh, which is a brew pub in an old gas station. We've got a new place, the Sweet Greek. You know, we've got uh, a wonderful new liquor store with some some pretty classic stuff. We got Boomerangs. We've got mm-hmm. uh, the, the hair salon. We've got a new country gym. We've got free concerts. We've got this amazing potential with the courthouse, and we got amazing potential with the the Imaging Theater, and amazing potential with the River Dock. We just have to start developing these things. Keep the area historic. You know, follow the Strong Towns uh, plan of walkable cities with retail outlets, and we'll be fine. That's it. Hopefully you have some folks there in town that will, will take that bull by the horns and go with that. Because well, it usually it takes a couple people. It well, takes two or three people to push that. Yeah. And they, well, you know, did you ever read my growth, growth get, plan? Did you ever read my growth management plan? No, the area? no. I, I, oh. I'll send it to no, you. send it to me again. Yep. I, I, I'm almost positive you sent it to me before. Yeah, if you get a chance. I know I did. <laughs> It'll give me old email, so that's okay. All right, we got to go. All right. Uh, any announcements? Anything? Okay, uh, good. Last word, or are we done? I guess we're done. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Mike Lynch, All right, Mr. thanks, Science. Greg. You take care. Bianchi, so, take care, bud. Oh, he's already gone. But you need, we need to give you a closing oh, so you can say, this is Mike Clinch, Mr. Science for Action Radio. Let's, let's give that a try. Okay. This is Mike Clinch, Mr. Science for Action Radio. Oh, that's perfect. Okay, keep doing that. Oh. <laughs> That'll be your new slogan for now. All right. Thanks, Mike. No, because I did radio for four years. Remember, I told you about that. I was on radio oh. for four years in San Well, then make up your own clothes. Hey, this is Mike the Scientist. Watch your temperatures. Okay, you sound like a radio guy. Hey, I got my radio voice on now. Yeah, it's a beautiful day in Milton. It's sunshine. Hey, I was the voice yeah, of 99.9. Nine. Yeah. Oh, gosh. KFAB. Yeah, I did some K-Fab? Class. We're a K-Fab. We're Fab. <laughs> Sorry. No, B. B is in Victor. K-Fab. K-Fab, not K-Fab. Sounds K-fab? like a laundry soap. Hey, man, we're like Fab. Yep. You know, we're like totally Fab. Yep. Okay, that's, that's great. Yeah. You're we're my your fab fabs. person. Yeah. Get out of here, Mike. All right. Talk I'm getting later. out of here. <laughs> All right. Bye. Okay. Bye now. This has been an incredible week. Uh, just look at today. You know, we had... Uh, Tara D. with uh, the Animal Shelter Report. We had uh, um, Derek Park, Financial Report. We had Chadwick Moore, our special guest, the author of Tucker. Um, I ranted and raved about unions for about half an hour. And we had uh, Mike Clinch, Mr. Science, you know, with his radio voice in the end there. This has been fun. Anyway, I played everything I have to play. So I'm just going to close with our, our uh, classical piece of uh, uh, the video on every Friday. And I'll just tell you next week, it's going to be interesting. I've, uh, I've got the memo that uh, the, uh, the uh, occupation government in the White House was sending out um, to all the media outlets to, uh, to take away their First Amendment rights and tell them what to say about impeachment. That's going to be Monday's show. Tuesday's show, who knows? Things can happen between now and then. Anyway, have a great weekend. 
stay positive, stay patriotic, do what you can. And I'll see you all again Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time when we shall do this all again. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.